You're listening to the Quarter 3 Movie Podcast for 2015. The whole thing. The whole year. All of it. My name's Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss 2015 with Christian Molnarowski. That's fine. Just don't call me Baby Creed. And with our uh, 2015 tagline... Kelly Wand, you do have a tagline for the entirety of 2015, right? Yeah. All right, Kelly Wand, with the 2015 tagline, take it away. Uh, if I can remember with all these spotlights, it's Hollywood Kleeg. That's not it. It's just all that glamour. I know, right? Okay, we'll settle down the glamour, put the orchestra up, get the crowds behind the cordon. All right, My, Kelly Wand, go with What an the atrocious crowd this is. I know. They're really out of control. I'm going to step on some light bulbs. They're waiting. Hope I blind a couple of them. Wow, I did not expect we would have a Bridge of Spies reference tonight. That was quick, yeah. Yeah. I was right. doing uh, Aviator. Um, no, that's Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's what I was doing. Okay. Kelly Wand, give us the tagline for 2015. 15th best movie year of the millennium thus far. Mm, yeah, I'm not going to accept that, and I suspect Dingus won't either. 14th best movie year of the millennium thus far. Keep going. Keep working your way down. Uh, <laughs> I laughed, I cried, I recorded. We'll take that one. Oh, no. Uh, let's see. So, um... We do this every year. We're just going to count down our top ten movies. Uh, we've each made a, a list of top ten, and according to a very elaborate math scheme... That only Tom knows and understands. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Basically, here, I'll explain it. Anything that is a tenth place gets one point. Anything in ninth place gets two points, and so on and so forth. With all of our lists of top ten movies put together, we're just going to reveal them in order of what got the most points. Um, but then as we, as we reveal them, I'll tell you like where they rank on each person's list. Uh, here is a very important thing though. We don't want to spoil it for you. We're not going to assume you've seen all of these. Uh, it took a lot of work to see all these movies. We don't expect that of you. We just want you to hang out with us while we talk in very non-spoiler language, uh, about what we saw, why we liked it, uh, what we thought of it, what we compare it to, that sort of thing. Uh, so don't be scared off. Kelly Wand, by the way, will not be doing it. Actually, Kelly Wand, will you synopsize the entirety of 2015 for us? Fuck no. Yeah, so there's not even going to be a synopsis in this podcast. I hear right now lots of people turning it off. <laughs> Fine, whatever. I'm one of them. What are we going to guess if we don't have a synopsis, a little IMDb? What are we going to guess? I know, I know. What would it have been called, Kelly Wand, if we did have a synopsis? Um... The 2005topsis. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have guessed, yeah. Kelly Shit, Wand, an IMDb would have been good. Do we have, yeah, do we have a synopsis contest that Dingus and I will, will fight each other in? Uh, I'll sneak it in during a lull, because <laughs> okay. this obviously isn't one. <laughs> Be ready for it. Uh, so, Dingus, why don't you tell folks what we saw this year? All right, this year we saw a whole lot of movies <laughs> about the West and about turns um, so it was basically about the West and birds and uh, things that turn into birds or turned into birds. Okay. Uh, this year got 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. 92. That means 92% oh. of all reviews, thumbs up for this year. On Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews that rated the year, 2015, is it 87? Oh, mm. dude, we could have done better than that. How much did we make this year? All the money. 
2015, actually, 2015 is doing amazingly well. Actually, it did amazingly well, thanks to uh, a little thing called Furious 7, mm-hmm. Compton, some, some nonsense about dinosaurs. Uh, there was a Carrie Fisher movie, too, that I think made a lot of money. I thought I wouldn't even be mentioned tonight. It's such an honor just <laughs> nominated. Damn it. <laughs> I can't wait for the Bay Ling comeback, by the way, when she has a resurgence in her career. And Kelly Wan can do that voice more often. I, don't um, about. I know you don't, but when she starts acting again, when she starts becoming a regular fixture in our movies. Hey, this is that lull I was talking about. So Kelly Wan, yes. IMDb. Give us a, a – read us an IMDb synopsis. Maybe a movie from 2015, if you can manage it, to sort of fit in with the theme. And then Dingus and I, whichever one of us can guess the movie first, wins for the entire year. Oh, my gosh. This is for the year? Yep. All the marbles, Dingus. Jesus. All right. Your hint is I might have heard what you just said. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Snotty Hollywood actor becomes even more full of himself after he's nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Are you reading the news or are you reading a plot synopsis? It's a movie. Doc Holliday. by one of the most famous writers of all time in the science fiction field. Uh, in the some... 60s. Jeez, a Pete. Dingus, this is up your alley. Take it away. You're the science <laughs> Well, actually, so Kelly is the science fiction guru. Yeah, that's true. This is more for me, and I don't know who it was. Yeah. Kelly, can you guess what it is? Yeah, Kelly. Can you can you take all the marbles? Uh, um, I thought it was the player. Oh. but I'm wrong. The player's it's not about an actor; it's about a screenwriter. I know. I wasn't. I didn't say it was close. Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> when you failed at your own game. I know. I suck. Um, so I came in second because the winner is no one with the Oscar, <laughs> written by Harlan Ellison, the screenplay. That's a real thing. Yeah, Elkie Summers in it, Milton Berle, the Oscar. Oh, yeah. my God. It's an old – okay, I thought so, – so we're not doing a movie Stephen from 2015. Boyd. Something like a movie right. from 1915. Well, we're talking about it in 2016. Mm. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Well, let's get back to 2015. Let's There's start – All completed. Yeah. Kelly Wand, you're in big trouble. Uh, what? You said Dingus was in trouble, too. Dingus is in trouble later. But you're I'm in, in more trouble. You're in more trouble, and you're in trouble first. I was going to do a line from every movie as it came up. I wouldn't begin to know a line from this movie. Uh, oh, you know what? No, hold on. I did look it up. Uh, shoot, where did that piece of paper go? Oh, man. I had a line. Oh, here we go. I- I'm going to do the line from memory. I lost where I wrote it down. Here's a line from this movie. Dingus, see if you can guess what Kelly Wan's number 10 movie is. Here's a line. Okay, what's the password? Uh, correct. <laughs> I don't know. Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us what that movie is and what your number 10 movie of 2015 is? The 10th best film I saw in 2015 is SpongeBob SquarePants, Sponge Out of Water. And I'll tell you why. It's because it promotes my theory that a good children's movie has, like, no lessons to teach. There's no lessons learned in SpongeBob SquarePants, Sponge Out of Water. So Did I like that, that. Is this serious? Did that just happen? That's number 10. That's what he wrote. It has one. So remember, if it's number 10, it gets one point. You add up the points from everyone. The only thing on the list that has only one point is SpongeBob SquarePants, whatever, whatever. I just wrote SpongeBob. I don't even know the name of the whole movie. Matthew Barry has a really uh, funny part in it. Matthew Perry? No, Barry, the the guy from Friends. 
No, not the guy from. Oh, good lord! The guy, the guy from, from uh, Dark, Dark Place. Place. Yeah. Oh, and you, you just called him Matthew Barry. Yeah. His name is Matt Barry. I respect his work. <laughs> I prefer to be called Matthew. <laughs> to me, he's almost a saint. Uh, Dingus, I did not think tonight that I would hear something that would make me want to hear see a SpongeBob movie, but but Kelly Wan accomplished that. He steals yeah. the movie. Well done, Matthew well done. Barry. Yeah. Just uh, watch that one part, and then you'll see why it's number ten. Well, how are we going to find that part and have to only watch that? Good Lord. Did you actually – how did you find this? What, what's going Kelly, on I, here? Here's my theory. Kelly actually knows people that work in animation. And Kelly Wan, I'm guessing you watched this because someone you know worked on it, correct? Well, I worked on it, but they didn't use anything I really did. So. Oh, conflict of interest. Ooh, Kelly, this is not going to look good in the press. Well, I worked on Shrek 4. And that did not make your list that Exactly, that's okay. what I'm saying. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, All right, good. All right, so Plus, I didn't go. do anything on it. They Kelly, just, yeah. yeah. Kelly Wan's number 10 movie of 2015, SpongeBob SquarePants something something or other. <laughs> With two that's points, three. Kelly Wan's number nine pick of 2015. I'm going to give you a line from it. Hey. That's right, basket case. <laughs> nope. It's me. Imagine that I'm vomiting coffee. Here's the thing. It was almost my number eight, but I thought that was kind of too little pat. So I'd oh, pump. I see. Well, and you, you screwed up the number. Okay, I see. Well, we'll see. What you- so this is Hateful Eight. The fun part is, and Dingus doesn't know this because he hasn't seen the list, right? Right. This isn't even the dumbest part of my list. Um, let me Do look. you agree with that? Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, I don't. The number ten was the dumbest part of your list. I'm not seeing anything here that – no. We'll get to this in a minute, because Kelly Wand, I, I don't think it's dumb at all what you're talking about. Let's talk now about why Hateful Eight. And remember, Kelly Wand, because you're the one that we're going to have to corral here. No, spoil- no spoilers. <laughs> why is Hateful Eight your ninth favorite movie of 2015? Tom, would you put a, a bunch of stakes out and some ropes to get Kelly Wand from this number eight to the back of the list? Kelly Wong, give me your weapon. I'm going to have to dismantle it and throw it in the toilet. That's cool. I got one uh, somewhere hidden that I totally thought of at the last second. Oh, I don't want to know where. You have to All right. Shit out, yo. Explain yourself because Dingus and I did not – I think Dingus and I hated Hateful Eight. You, mm-hmm. on the other hand, didn't explain yourself. I didn't explain myself? Or I didn't, period, explain. Explain yourself, because maybe people haven't – we do podcasts for people that have seen movies, and it's a conversation that involves spoilers – People who are listening now might not have seen Hateful Eight. What can you tell them to okay. why it's your ninth favorite movie of 20? It, it satisfies several of my prerequisites for awesome movies that are on the Hateful Eight podcast. That I won't mention because there'll be spoilers. No, wait. I can say one like um, the things, the movies that take place in a single day. That's not a spoiler, right? Okay. But the other one is a spoiler, so I can't say that one. I don't know what you're talking about. So it reminds you of another movie, but if you were to say the movie, it would spoil it. Okay, so it recalls... Resolution-themed uh, trope. <laughs> is that a real phrase? Uh, oh. Yeah, you've made it one. But I, Okay, on the Hate Play <laughs> podcast, here's the thing. Right. You kind of uh, derailed my faith in the movie... Well, actually, okay. The real reason it's on my list is because I really have. A, I also have a soft spot for like movies where everyone's just boiled down to a single trait. Okay. Like their essence. Right. Like Cool Han Solo, for for instance. Mm-hmm. 
and Hateful Eight's the embodiment of that, and I think it's like a really good, um, dopey comedy. You know what? Like, I I think that Dingus and I would agree with you that the characters in Hateful Eight are are one dimensional. So I yeah, yeah. Board with you there. But here's the thing. Okay, when you told me, oh, he made them all watch the thing. Right. I thought that was the dumbest. Like, really? Because that I def- I totally agree with it. Like that isn't really analogous at all because the dynamic between the characters. But if you look at it as like if you'd screen Police Academy. <laughs> it, it's actually then it would have been it's like a 2015 police academy in a good way like everyone because everyone in police academy has like their one trait like there's the sloppy guy and then they all solve a mystery huh police academy movies and that's also like another theme of hateful eight and then everyone throws up together all right so kelly wand's ninth favorite uh of 2015, Hateful Eight. Let's get Kelly Wand. That means you, that you liked it one. You gave it a point too, right? No, I did not. So when you when you give it when you put it in ninth place, it makes two, two points. points. Yeah, tenth right. place is one point, ninth place is two point. Here's another movie that's uh, only got two points. It was only on one person's list. Uh, I can't do a line from it because you wouldn't be able to hear me. Dingus, what is your number nine favorite movie of 2015? <laughs> All right, this was really difficult. This is a movie called The Tribe. Hmm. I'm guessing, hold on, Kelly Wan, do you even know what that is? No, I don't see movies with just two words in the title. <laughs> it needs to be a word in a numeral, right? Right, yeah. like Hateful Eight. It has uh, to be a complete sentence, like Hateful Eight. Uh, all right, Dingus, explain The Tribe to us and, and why you liked it. This This is, well, this isn't why you're in trouble, but go ahead. All right, well, The Tribe... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the tribe is one of these movies that that I that I just got stumbled into. Uh, this is uh, one of the most difficult movie watching experiences of the year, awesome. if not of the last several years for me. Have Real you, quick, you guys I, even seen it? Yes, I, and I just want to quote: When you say it's one of the most difficult uh, movie watching experiences of the year, I just want to quote a little movie called "They Came Together" and say. You can say that again. Tell me about it. You can say that again. Tell me about it. And, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, Dingus, I did see it. Um, that was on my list last year. It was, yeah. So go back, listeners, and listen to that one if you want to hear Kelly Wan hold forth about they came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I did see it, Dingus. So, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. You said it was a very difficult watch, and then you asked us if, if we saw it. One of us has. All right. One of you has. Great. Wait, which one of us? Not would, you. I'm raising Not my me. hand, Kelly. Got Wong. it. Yeah. Got, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, my girlfriend said, let's go see a movie. We went to an indie movie theater. She's like, let's see The Tribe. We're just going to go see that movie. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult to go see a movie with me on the fly because I don't want to know what any movie is about because I'm totally anal about those types of things. I don't want trailers. I don't want to know anything about any movie before I go into it. If that's possible. So lucky for me, I'm, you know, I'm with her. She looks through all the reviews of the things that are playing at that particular movie theater, uh, dismisses the various ridiculous other crap that's going on there and says, let's go see the tribe. So we go in, we sit down, um, theater goes dark. And the first thing that shows up on the screen is a title card that says this movie will be in Ukrainian sign language. There will be no translation. There will be no side subtitles. It's basically just saying good luck. And so what 
folds out before you is this movie that is entirely in sign language. It's not in ASL though. It's not, you know, I could follow some of ASL, um, but I don't know Ukrainian sign language. I don't know what, I don't know any other country's sign language and I don't know the differences or the nuances or whatever. I don't know what accents are or what, how you would deal with that. So this whole movie and the experiment of this movie is, is showing this whole movie of this this kid who is going to a uh, who is a deaf kid um, who is going to a new deaf school and having to integrate like a high school student or a, a college student kind of in a dorm situation but a high school situation um, into a new clique and gang of kids but all we get as an audience is sign language all we see is what they're doing in sign language. So as an audience member, what I have to do is really constantly be focused on what the actors are doing to determine what their intentions are without any verbal language and no subtitles whatsoever to determine what is going on in any scene whatsoever. Um, so it's it's a very frustrating and engaging engaging experience and also exhausting but also ultimately after you go through it rewarding experience it's kind of a horrifying movie um i i i honestly don't know if i will ever watch it again uh it's one of those things where um part of the joy of going out of it and deciding to put it on my list is is the experience of having gone through it of having sat there through the two hours of this movie and having to really lean forward. I can't take notes through this. I can't give you guys any quotes. I can give you a couple of things like the, like images that I loved from the movie or, or, you know, the usual thing I do about best miscellaneous thingy. I can do those things for you. But, but the real, the real power of watching the tribe is to actually engage in it. It's, it's one of those things of, of active audience engagement where you know most movies and television are things that come to you this movie you have to go to and watch it and really interpret it yourself actively uh and it's really difficult on that level but i think the acting is amazing um and i think that it's it's kind of a horrifying movie and in the way it it wraps up it's it's violent it's difficult um but by and large, I, 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 again, I don't know if I'd watch it ever again because it was so hard to watch. But, but man, what an experience to go through going in the theater and just having to sit there and interpret a movie just through your eyes, basically. And and you know there there are some there's a lot of sound effects going on in the movie. It's not a silent movie. Um, there's plenty of sound effects. There's there's sound going on. It's just not dialogue. Uh, it, it, I, I think it's just an amazing experience. Remember when Tom said his hand went up? Yeah, good. So, Gary, did you have a question? Are you raising your hand? No, it's just no. asking things. Uh, so, so I one of the things that surprised me about it, Ding, is you say it's not a silent movie, and it's not. Uh, it's just a movie without dialogue, but they still got the, the the mics running, so you hear like feet scuffling and things being put down on tables and whatnot. And even during some of the more um, impassioned moments, I guess you can hear people like breathing and. Uh, they don't do the thing that I think happens with a lot of deaf people where there is some articulation uh, as they're signing. 
uh, at least not generally. There are a few of the scenes where they get really re- involved in something that you can hear a little bit of, of uh, sort of vague articulation. Um, but it's, it really reminded me of a silent movie in that the, the actors, and I imagine this is part of being deaf and communicating, were so demonstrative and overly expressive. It's like watching like Charlie Chaplin stuff. Um, and I, I thought that was fascinating. I didn't care for the movie overall, but it, it was just a fascinating uh, exercise in a different way of acting, I thought. Um, and I thought Michael Sarah was very good in it. No, stop it. He looked totally like Michael Sarah. You don't see that? No, he did not. Oh, my God. He taught it. Kelly Wan. Imagine Michael Cera, but like really buff and cut and yeah, super fit. Thing. He looks like That's Michael Cera had been bred with Mar- Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, he looked he, that, that kid was really good, and he, really, like, when you first see him, he does look like a, a little mopey, put upon teenager. And what he has to do over the course of the movie, you know, he sort of grows into this cut, buff, tough guy. You know, you discover that about him, uh, and that's part of his character arc. Um, but uh, yeah, so the thing is, here's something that killed it for me. Um, it, it's it's very much a uh, I don't know about low budget, but it, it's very much set in a very dingy, rundown place. I mean, it makes the it makes the Ukraine look like a terrible place to live. Uh, the very first scene is on a on a crowded street, and just off to the street, there's like a burned out husk of a car. You know, what kind of city? Doesn't that would be like on Sunset Boulevard? There's just a ruined car on the side of the road that nobody moved. You know, a busy, a busy place like that, and that the school is like full of graffiti and stuff. Uh, so it, it made me think that uh, yeah, it's a terrible place to live. But here's one thing that killed it for me. Do you guys ever see in a movie, uh, and this happens a lot in older movies, where somebody has to like fall from a super height, and before they could do CG, or if it was like too elaborate for a stunt person, they would throw a dummy off. And then the dummy would fall, and it would look like a real person falling. But at some point in capturing the fall, the legs bend forward just a little bit. Yeah. So, like, you know there's no kneecap, and you're like, oh, now I see it's a dummy. So there are certain effects like that where when the tribe tries to do something, like, horrific, where I could totally see through the effect. And I was like, oh, you guys are ruining it for me. Do a different take. That didn't work. Um, when I was a kid, though, I always assumed – that always freaked me out more because I go, oh, the wind fucking breaks your leg. <laughs> <laughs> Dislocates it. So that's the worst way to go. It's funny that you say that, Tom. I, I noticed none of those types of things because, uh, because again, I'm watching it in a, in a movie theater and I'm feeling like I have to constantly be concentrating sure. on every single yeah. thing that's going on. Yeah. And then when those horrific moments happen or when anything that would require what you're talking about is going on, Oh, aside, aside, aside from uh, the fight scene, which was weird for me, um, I don't notice those things because I'm concentrating so hard on understanding what is going on intentionally between the actors. Yeah, I, I, that, I felt I, part of what it is I just felt so left out. Like, yeah. like I, I like subtitles. Like when I listen to an opera, I want to know what the words are, right. and uh, you know, if I if there's ever a scene that doesn't have subtitles in a movie. I'm a little bit irked at the movie. I'm like, hey, let me in on – unless it's from the perspective of a character who doesn't know the language. And this is a movie about people who all know the language, right. and I just felt really shut out. And I imagine that was intentional. Like the director yeah. Yeah. completely wanted to do that to me, and I was just like, screw you. I'll go watch a movie where I know what they're saying. What about the Spanish in Cormac? Do you look up the translations, or you just kind of let it wash over you? And you're like, 
but are you calling Cormac? Is that how you're referring to a Cormac McCarthy book? Of course. Your, bu- your buddy Cormac? Yeah. <laughs> I call him Mac. <laughs> yeah. Me and the core. I, I, I trust Cormac McCarthy, so whatever he wants to do with language. Uh, all right. So Ukrainian sign language. Uh, it helps if you know it. If you don't, well. No, I think it, I think it probably helps if you don't, because I, I, I don't know that I would have liked this movie if I had understood it as well. Uh, I think that, again, it's, it's that, that sense of having to, like, you're, you're right, Tom. You feel left out and you have to try to figure out what's going on. It's like, uh, like two or three people talking to you, talking to each other in a different language and you're in a social situation with them and you have to figure out by context clues and what, how they're looking at each other, what they're talking about. I mean, it forces you, it's, it's exhausting. It's constantly exhausting to do that. So this movie is exhausting to watch because you have to, it's like you can't hear what they're talking about. You're like, it's, you're right, Tom. It's like you've been left out. And that's why I loved it so much because I had to, I had to, I had to engage constantly, like watching theater. I think this this movie was more like watching theater than watching movies. I want to jump ahead real quick to uh, we're, we're handing out some awards that we've given to different movies this year. Uh, the Tribe was the runner-up for this award. It didn't win this award, <laughs> but the award for me for three-hour black-and-white Russian movies that I gave up on after a half hour and never looked back, the winner was something called Hard to Be a God, which – Oh, good lord. I have no idea what's going on with that. If if you like mud and snot, it's the movie for you. But the runner-up, even though it wasn't three hours, even though it wasn't black and white, even though it wasn't Russian, I went ahead and put the tribe as runner-up for that award. All right. Fair uh, enough. But oh. hard to be a god, beat it out. But again, it's it's a movie that I don't think I could watch again, but I love it. It's one of those weird movies. I don't, I don't know what to put. I don't know what to say. Like of the Void. Hmm. End of the Void is a movie I don't like that I won't want to watch. Well, I meant for me, like, that's my oh, okay, okay. your thing. Uh, let's go then to another movie that was only on one list. Ooh. My number eight movie of the year. Here's a quote from it. You guys ready? This is our cop car! <laughs> it's kind of a giveaway. Wait, let me guess. <laughs> go ahead, Dingus. Chappie? Close. <laughs> Dingus, you have a guess? No, Kelly guessed it. Um, I, I really liked that it was um, – so I know Dingus is a big fan of Stand By Me, and I don't say this to denigrate Stand By Me because it's a very intentional part of that story. Stand By Me is an adult remembrance of childhood. It's not a guy it, – it's, it's sort of got more nostalgia in it than honesty in that I think it's supposed to be colored by this adult recalling being a child. Uh, and that's fine. A lot of people like it. Um there are some great things in it, but Cop Car is to me kind of an anti-Stand By Me in that it has this wacky black comedy element to it uh, that I sort of feel is is kid logic at work. Like what it's like to be an adult watching children play. It kind of makes no sense from an adult perspective, but the two kids in it, everything makes perfect sense to them. You know, when they throw a rock at a, at a cop car – they think that the cops then are going to come looking for them. Like, uh, and, and, and also one of the great things about it, in addition to these two kids who are great actors, by the way, it's an amazing Kevin Bacon performance as a, a completely hapless villain. Mm-hmm. Like He's ruthless and he's terrible, and he'll do terrible things, but he is so screwed. It, it's kind of like Home Alone if Home Alone wasn't a comedy where like things fall on Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci's head. Uh it's like that kind of villain, 
but but not straight up funny. Or if William Macy was the cop in Fargo. Uh, sure, okay. That character. Yeah. Um, no, Kyle Kelly. <laughs> Uh, for me, it also had a very – the more I think about it, it had a very Mark Twain quality to it. Like yeah. like these kids are sort of latter-day Huck Finn's and Tom Sawyer's uh, – and over the course of the movie, an Engine Joe – wait, is Engine Joe the bad guy, Kelly Wand? You would know this. In the, no. And Tom Sawyer is. And Tuck Finn, it's his dad. Tuck Finn. Tuck Finn. Yeah. Uh, but, but at any rate, it's like it's like that. It's, There's a really menacing villain that intrudes on the movie yeah. uh, by, by the time it's over. Uh, but there's also yeah. no casualties in, I mean, of the kids. Nigger Jim. He's uh, a kid, right? Too. I, I, about it. I really like the Mark Twain thing that you just said, Tom. I don't know if you said that during our podcast, but I really like that. Uh, especially since at this little theater I went to, there's a Weird Mark Twain, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, new thing coming out next year, uh, or this year, I guess. Now that mm-hmm. we're in the next year, um, and it looks very Wes Anderson-y, um, and I like that you said that about Cop Car. And it's also the kids in it. I saw another movie about two little kids, uh, in which the kids are these. Sadistic little bastards. It's so grueling to watch. Uh, it's a German movie called Night Mommy. Uh, and it's just, it's <laughs> terrible. Oh my god, it's, it's this freaky horror movie. Uh, but the kids are really good in it. Uh, but it's like, ew, that's like, it's a terrible way to, to, to like portray kids in a movie. Um, I can relate to having problems with a child. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice to have a movie where the kids weren't adult perspectives or they weren't evil little monsters, where the kids were basically telling their own story. The, the story took a cue from how they see the world. Uh, so I loved that about Cop Car. So that was my number eight. Finally, now let's get to a movie that was on two lists. Hmm. Kelly Wand, I would give you a quote. But uh, listeners, I'm sorry. I would give you a quote, but it involves the C word, and uh, I hate to do that because there might be children listening. So what? Kelly Wand, yep. Uh, here, I'll... give them Kelly. Let Kelly Wand say it, and the kids <laughs> will be fine with that. Do you know the line? Like, what if I say, shoot, I wrote all this down and then forgot. Oh, here we go. What if I say, if I just put the the letter C in there, will you say it with the actual word Kelly Wand? Um, which word? Here we go. Posh C's telling thick C's to kill poor C's. Posh Kuntz telling sick C's to sell Kuntz C's. That was Kelly Wan's Irish accent from a line delivered by this awesome actor named Richard Dormer in the movie 71, which is my number 10 and Kelly Wan's number 8. Yes. So Kelly Wan, since you apparently liked it more than me, uh, why is 71 uh, your eighth favorite movie of 2015? I mean, just keep in mind, I liked it more than SpongeBob, Sponge Out of Water, by two. Uh-huh. But by Hateful Eight, I liked it half that much. Okay? Uh, I don't think that's how the math bears out, but okay. All right, let's focus on the positive, but I don't know what I'm talking about at all. Which, um, it stayed with me the longest when I thought about it. Um it's got one of the most horrific scenes I think I've ever seen. And it was about something that was really interesting to me that I don't know much about. So maybe I gravitated to it more than I would 
That's one of the things I admire about it is that it's about a very complex situation. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a complicated movie. No, and it's very character-driven. It's about – and I really believed in the characters. They all seemed really just authentic. Yeah. It's like – Kevin, when this is what occurred to me, and I don't know if we mentioned this. I know we talked about the Warriors comparison because the director, uh, Jan Demange, has clearly said the Warriors was one of his inspirations. But it's – imagine – the Warriors or Escape from New York, but not as a frivolous movie. Right. Uh, like this whole idea of there's this terrible nightmare city and you've, you've got to get through it. And, and that's partly, too, um, the, the uncomplicated nature of it is it's just a guy who has to get home. Yeah. You know, yeah but even those framing devices, too, with the kid. Right, right. I mean, you know what he's got yeah. waiting for him at home. Yeah. What the stakes are. Uh, but where he is is, you know, Oops, he's a British soldier, and it's Belfast in 1971. This is a right. terrible place to ha- have to get home out of. Um, <laughs> they don't know they're in a historical movie. <laughs> uh, and it, it even plays out like a great action movie. Kelly Wand, uh, I, that scene yes. you're talking about is we've seen something like that in plenty of movies, mm-hmm. and we're kind of used to it, but it has a new uh, approach to this scene we've seen before many times. Um, is this just can I say what it is? Uh, let me just let me just put it this way. We all know the goofy scene where somebody sits in a car and he's going to turn the key and there's a car bomb that's going to kill him and you're supposed to be surprised, but you always see it coming. Right. Like a lot of movies so telegraph, oh, there's a car bomb, this is going to kill the character. And that's not what it is in 71, but it's that same kind of scene where, oh, we've all seen it. We know that there's going to be a, a lull and you're going to surprise us with a terrorist action kind of thing. They do a really cool take on it in 71. It's incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it, they, they don't telegraph this thing that normally gets telegraphed that you can see coming. Um, it's not only beautifully shot in like a beautiful idea, like storytelling-wise and shot, but like – this sounds like a weird thing to say, but I think – it makes me think of Lake Mungo too. But it's like the, the prop, as it were, the after shot is really well done. <laughs> Like it stayed with me, just little touches. Well, it's kind of surprising. So, uh, Jan Demange, the, the director, uh, he he's mainly done TV for for uh, I guess BBC and Film Four and whatever, uh, and he's mainly known for a, a, an awesome zombie miniseries called Dead Set. Hmm. Uh, uh, and so, this is one of his first like feature films, and the script is by a wonderful playwright named Gregory Burke. Um, and some of the cinematography, I mean, it's some of the best cinematography of the, the year. Stretching uh, their wings. It, it looks awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the actors, I, we love Sean Harris on this podcast. Uh, this year I discovered a, an actor named Richard Dormer in a series called Fortitude, and he, I love him. He's in it. Uh, and Jack O'Connell, just, just undeniable star power. That guy is so good in this movie. Uh, and it's not even, it's not like an action movie starring him. He totally gets wrapped up in this big ensemble cast, uh, and he's just so good in it. So, yeah. Seventy-one is uh, Kelly's number eight movie. It's my number ten. Uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, but it, it muscled out another movie for very specific reasons that we'll talk about soon. Let's now talk about Kelly Wand. I love what you have done with your number seven pick. It's it's also I gave it an award, most surprising movie of the year. Whoa. Because I'm surprised at how much I loved this thing. Didn't make my list, but Kelly Wand, I'm going to give you a quote and see if you can guess what your number seven movie is from the quote. You ready? Okay, hang on, wait. Let me. Okay, I here's just the quote. Clear my head. Here's well, the quote. We, we are really populating Kelly's list here. Mm-hmm. Here's the quote. 
let's agree not to disagree. Does Dingus know that? Yeah, Dingus, can you guess from that? No, no, go ahead. You really can't guess from that? No, it, this is Kelly's. No. It's from Inside Out. <laughs> I thought Dingus would get from that line. Yeah, I, I would, but it's I think he Kelly's... hates comedy. Oh. No, it's not that. It's that it's Kelly's pick. Come on. You're allowed to guess what the, the movie is from the line, but okay. I, I know the movie, Dingus. That part was a joke. I can't believe it's number seven for you. And Do you my... hate it when we watch it? I liked it more than no. so. He totally liked it. You were the one oh. who hated it, Dingus. You were all like, Did he? Yeah. yeah. That's not uh, true. I really liked it. What are you well, talking about? Why isn't it your number seven? Yeah. <laughs> because they have a I, different number seven. I really loved Inside Out. It was on my list of possibles, but it wasn't going to Oh, it. my God. Kelly Wan, he does think – so You've Kelly Wan has led you astray. I thought you were talking about Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. That's Kelly Wan's number seven pick. The line is from that. Not inside out. Why did you say that then? Because <laughs> Kelly oh, Wan is from the same podcast. All right. I thought he knew the line, and he was just—I was like making fun of him for trolling me. Right. So Kelly Wand. What happened? My most surprised. Not even know. All right. Now, anyway. Me. No, I may not. I may not even know the title correctly. <laughs> My most surprising yeah. movie of the year. I stumbled. This is one of those things that I just started watching, thinking I was going to do something else. It's going to be dumb. I'm not going to be into it. Totally didn't do whatever else I was doing and ended up watching this comedy and then forcing you guys to see it. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, it obviously worked for you. Yes. Why is Larry in the, Gay in the same podcast as Inside Out? Who would pair those two things? Well, because I had, well, that was my joke. Right. Kind of, all right. I fine. forced you guys to watch it. So, so Kelly Wand, why is Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, your seventh favorite movie of 2015? Okay, here's the thing. The yes. reason the comedies never win Oscars is because the Oscars are stupid as fuck. <laughs> they should win every year. What? Okay. Well, I just think, you think Larry Gay should be like on the... Like what, what Oscar I'm pushing would... back. I'm, I'm pu- I don't like making lists anyway, so this list can be whatever I want it to be. I don't know how to bracket, so this is even more complicated. <laughs> All right? Let's start uh, there. What, if you were in charge of the Academy Awards, what would you put Larry Gay up for? As picture. Wow. Just, here's the thing. Uh-huh. The two things that are hardest to do get the least respect, comedy and horror. Those are both super hard to do. And Larry Gay, Male Flight Attendant, as a comedy, I didn't think it ever dragged. And it does something most comedies don't do. And I keep, we keep, I've talked before about where I keep seeing these trailers for movies and I don't even get the jokes because the, the character is supposed to be so either obnoxious or oblivious that that's the entire joke. And then they just get hit in the face with something mm-hmm. like that Google movie. And there's like another one coming out. And right along too, like I don't even understand. Anyway, my point is this. In Larry Gay, male flight attendant, renegade male flight attendant. He's a renegade? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you bet. Yeah. He's very benign. He's a benign comic protagonist. And that to me is like a bold, audacious move these days. There's not that many. They're usually troubled and they have to like learn redemption, including fucking train wreck, including fucking bridesmaids. But Larry Gay is a very sweet tempered soul. Well, it never gets it never gets serious. Like it doesn't right. do that train wreck thing. No lessons. Exactly. Right. No lessons. We're just going to be a comedy all the way through. And for yeah. me, it's kind of my. I know this movie still totally works for Dingus, but it's kind of my airplane. And yeah. not just because it's set in an airport. Not just because Julie Haggerty has a terrible appearance and it's been an appearance. Vision. But yeah. like I, I like it just as straight jokes without yeah. a message or without a lesson. Yeah. 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 And also, and Dingus, I think I'm pretty sure you're on board with this. Uh, Mark F- Feuerstein, Feuerstein. Yeah. How do we say his name? That guy was so good, and he was so he was committed. Great. 
Yeah, he really was invested in that well, character. He produced the movie. Yeah, and he's he's great in it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I resent about a terrible movie I saw called Meadowland, um, in which Luke Wilson here's here's one of the weird things. Luke Wilson plays a cop. That, by the way, is one of the first hard things to believe. Uh, and um, Olivia Wilde is his wife, and, and they lose a child. And it's this serious movie. I think the whole movie is designed to show you, look, Olivia Wilde can act. This is going to be on her demo reel when she gets like a – Or she's a bad parent. Uh, no, the, you never, the kid just vanishes. It's not their fault. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, it's supposed to show – it's supposed to be like her meaty, like a super acting role, and, and she's kind of terrible in it. But one of the things I most resent about Meadowland, Mark Feuerstein is in it, and it's this complete throwaway role as Luke Wilson's best friend. Like the moment he showed up, I was like, yeah, great. I'm on board with this. And he's got two scenes, and they do nothing with him. Um, but those but are I, the th- those are the frustrations that lead to gems like Larry Gay. Well, one of the things I admire about Larry Gay, which I didn't like, but I'm not going to uh, mess around with because we don't do that on the list show. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about him is that I've seen him in on a number of shows. I've seen him on some of my favorite shows. He shows up on West Wing. I mean, he he's a really solid like supporting player, and you get the sense in watching Larry Gay that he felt like. I can do a lot more than this. I've got this great comic sensibility. I'm not just a good-looking guy. I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to push it forward. Um, and so I, that's one of the things I really liked about Larry Gay was the feeling that Mark Feierstein is, is or Feuerstein uh, is is pushing forward his career in a positive way and and doing it well. I mean, I, I didn't care for the movie that much, but it's not incompetent. And he's funny. He's got great comic sensibility. He's really charming, and he's he's really trying to push forward his career. I really liked that about that. Yeah, I never would have guessed from it that he's not a comic actor, just because I didn't know him uh, anything else. So, yeah, yeah, Because he never breaks character in the movie. Yeah. He wants an autobiography written about himself. Oh, and the cast. I mean, he gets like Stanley Tucci and uh, who who are some of the other cameos? Oh, so well, Redemption. Yeah, no, uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos and Henry Winkler and Molly Shannon, and I'm sure there are even more cameos that I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Patrick Warburton. Um, Yeah, but yeah, Stanley Tucci, I guess, is a notable one. Uh, I think I'm drawn to characters with strong work ethics. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not one myself, but I like them in my fiction. All right, Dingus, you ready to get in trouble? Yeah, I'm ready. Shit. All right, Dingus. I don't have a quote from your the, your number seven movie of the year because I didn't see it. Although when you said something about, eh, we might talk about this movie. Maybe you should see it. I just thought you meant you were going to refer to it. I didn't know it was going to be on your list. So, Dingus, what is your? Give us a line from your number seven movie and then tell us what it is. It's forty watt bulb, honey, not a beacon. Hmm. So that's a quote from it. Uh, this is something that I've talked to you guys. I talked to you guys months ago about like, can we watch this movie? I would like you to watch this movie. I was a little shy about it because it was directed by a friend of mine. I didn't want to push it too hard because I don't want to be like shilling for a friend, but really liked the movie a lot. It, it's a movie called Two Step, which makes uh, me think it's about dancing. By the way, yeah, me too. It's seriously not. It's, <laughs> I thought Whiplash uh, was about car acts. Oh wait, it is. <laughs> Yeah, good. So anyway, it's this movie called Two Step, uh, and it's uh, it's this little thriller from uh, Austin, Texas. And um, good lord, I don't know how to talk about this thing. I feel really. Said Will and Godlord. That's good. 
Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Um, but I've been telling you guys about it for a long time, and Stop. and every time we talk about like, what are we going to watch this week? Can we watch? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. You really want to do that? I don't watch know. it. For the record, I'll watch it next week. All right, as you want. But I'm shy about it because, again, it's directed by a friend of mine. That doesn't matter. Um, it matters to me because I don't want to see. I, if you we know, don't like it, it'll be embarrassing. It's not just that. It's it's you know I don't want to be shilling for somebody. I don't want to use this podcast for shilling. Um, that's not what this is about. But I genuinely like this thing. Uh, I went to see its LA premiere. I went with that sort of trepidation that you that you do when you go to something that actually this guy became a friend of mine because uh his brother is a close friend of mine um and i went to see it kind of like oh god what if i what if what if this thing is terrible um and i ended up sitting there and going holy cats this thing is amazing uh, it's this great thriller um it, that takes place in austin texas uh it has uh, some things in common with probably something that we'll talk about later on, uh, as far as the way that the cameras move and, and just the way that the settings are. Um, uh, but it's this great little Texas thriller. Uh, there's there's this thing uh, you know that I do often when we when we do these um, these lists uh, where I where I say. Whenever I get to the end of the year, I, I think of my best miscellaneous thinking that I loved in a movie. And there's this really quick, weird, uh, not, it's not weird, it's this quick, unexpected brutality that happens at an ATM machine. It just, it's just like, bam, boom, and it happens and it's gone, and that's it. Um, and I also talk about an image, and there's this woman who, it's this classic movie image of there's a there's a dude outside a window. The woman goes to get something. She passes by the window again, and he's gone. And that's totally a, a sign that something scary is going to happen. It's it's frightening. It's a, it's got an unexpected vibe to it. And what's most important to me is that um, the writing is superlative. I mean, this this guy. I mean, the writer and director. His name is Alex Johnson. Um, his writing is amazing, uh, and it, it, the dialogue has just so many great touches to it. Um, but 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 more than that, the acting. I don't know how you do this in a low budget because this, this is a low budget movie uh, made by a guy who's just scrapping and and he's worked for years to get this thing made. It's, I mean, it's, I've I've seen the whole thing like going through the years and I've just kind of uh, on the outskirts going, oh no, this is going to be a disaster. Um, how he got these actors? These none of these actors are people I've heard of, but they're all great. I mean, it's surprising, and I'm really highly critical of acting in these types of movies. There's but actually, Ding, is a, a pretty, a fairly prominent film scene in, in Austin. Like, I, I'm kind of not surprised that he was able to find some, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent in Austin. So I'm, in a way, I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, well, uh, but for, but to get this kind of talent to do this kind of thing, um, or to, or to be able to unearth this type of talent is really is really surprising. I mean, he gets he gets people like there's this guy named Jason Douglas who's in the movie, and he was in No Country for Old Men, um, and he plays a pr- fairly prominent role in the movie uh, Two Step. In No Country, he like plays a taxi driver, but he's really good in Two Step. 
so you just get this sense of this idea of, of these local actors who uh, might be playing small roles in movie in big movies that come to town, but might be able to do a whole lot more. Uh, so anyway, uh, this thing's available on Netflix. It's I, I think it's super great. It's got great reviews. Uh, so I'm not I'm not just I'm not recommending it out of nowhere. I've seen I've seen this thing like two or three times, um, and uh, I, I think it's worth watching. All right, Dings' number seven pick is uh, two. Wait. Yeah, go. I'm sorry. Uh, is two step. Uh, Dingus might be shy about shilling on the podcast, but Kelly Wand. Wait, real quick. N- that is that why? Oh he's my god, I had a great transition, and you. Blew okay, it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh my god, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I can always come back to my segue. No, I just was wondering why Dingus was in trouble. Oh, just because I mentioned he told me. I, I knew we were going to say something about it, but I just thought he was going to relate it to something else that we saw. Uh, and not that he was going to put it on his list. Like he, and I think that's why he oh, told me, and he assumed I would know. I just thought he was like, oh, I'm going to reference it in, in comparison to the tribe or something. Like I thought it would be uh, like that. We're always reluctant. At, well, I don't know. But me and Dingus are kind of reluctant to push too hard for each other to see things. Like We'll just like leave a little comment because I think we don't want to get each other's expectations up. Uh, and we know each other well enough that just a little bit of a nudge should be all it takes. But I guess I wasn't reading his nudge clearly enough, so that's why he's in trouble. He didn't push me hard enough. Uh, well, I should have nudged earlier, I think. Yeah. So, okay, you ready for this awesome segue that I – Yeah, I sorry about that. With? Here we go. Let me start again. <clears throat> Dingus might be shy about shilling on the podcast, but Kelly Wand has no compunction about shilling. Taylor shilling. Dingus – or Kelly Wand, what is your number five pick for uh, 2015? Sorry, your number, number six, five? Your number six pick. Wait, I didn't work on my number six. No, Taylor Schilling. Uh, is that too obscure? Who's she's Taylor Schilling? She's one of the actresses in it. She plays uh, Adam, um, uh, Scott's, Adam Scott's wife. Yeah. She's in uh, the movie that you picked. Yeah, Taylor Schilling is her name. I thought, I thought you would pick up on that, but okay, sorry. I was really proud of my segue. It didn't work. Well, it just didn't work on me. I think the listeners will get it. I, I don't. I didn't know. Other than the overnight, I had no idea who Taylor Schilling was. I mean, it's yeah, neither. Yeah. Sort of thing Wait. that made me like want to see other things that she's in, though. I loved her in this. She's yeah. the French girl. No, no, she's Adam no. Scott's wife. Yeah. She's the Greta Gerwig. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as a Greta Gerwig, but okay. Gerwig. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? This is Adam Scott. Well, Kelly, want explain to us why the overnight? It's, you're, it's, you're the only one who it, it's, you're the only one who has it on his list. I, I think Diggs and I both loved it. I adored it, and I knew you would be into it. Why do you are you so into it, Kelly? Wand, that it's your number six pick for 2015? Uh, any movie with dicks always makes my list. <laughs> there's just not that many of them. That's that is your tagline. Watchmen, Hateful Eight, uh, Under the Skin. <laughs> They all got dongs, yeah. And other ones on this list, too. Spoiler James is one of your favorites. Yeah. That's not even... Never mind. Oh, so hot. What was I saying? Oh, it just gave me perspective, too, on all body parts, the overnight. And um, it was. It just had that uh, crisp, mumblecore uh, radiance. Of the Duplass family, isn't that? Didn't they produce that? Or am I thinking? Yeah, of it's 
it's Duplass Brothers. It's my favorite. It's it's what I wish, um, like the Gary Marshall relationship movies are. Ew! Goes the same. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. It's horrible. No, no, I'm saying that's what in my ideal universe the overnight is that like everyone goes, Oh, the overnight's out. And they go to see like, it's like this huge hundred million dollar relationship. But instead of like my best friends or runaway bride, but can you imagine the that's mainstream entertainment? Can you imagine the average theater goer going to see the overnight though? Like, oh, come on, they'd love it though. Wouldn't they? No. Oh my God. No, I can, I can see people walking out of that movie, which is, is part of what I love about it's fun it. too. By the way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's Patrick Bryce who, uh, it's who wrote? Writing. He wrote and directed it, and he did a movie called Creep with uh, with Mark Duplass, mm-hmm. uh, which is just found footage that basically the two of them worked out, uh, which I think we also both liked. But yes. uh, the Overnight is a much more uh, sort of yeah nuanced, fleshed out. Uh, it's in a way, it's even creepier than Creep. Yeah, uh, and it's not my. Can kind I just of... ask a quick weird question? Is Creep gonna come up later? Oh, unless someone gave it an award. I mean, I don't... I, it's oh, just I thought, say it's I thought one of you would choose Creep. All right. I was eyeballing it. Yeah, but... I, I, something similar sounding. Because it was weird for me to watch uh, Overnight after we did uh, a show about Creep and try to figure out which one of you was going to choose one or the other. <laughs> was it a Duplass off? I, I thought Tom was going to choose Creep on it. Well, I definitely. I mean, Creep is awesome. There's yeah, so yeah. few things left to do with found footage, and I feel like Creep is, is one of those rare things that, that hey, let's you know, found footage isn't a tired trope. It, they actually do something cool with it. I think it's um, a piffle. It's supposed to be a piffle. Like right. that's part of the joke. Right. Right. Um, but the overnight is uh, just four. Yeah, the overnight, especially too, especially yeah. Jason Schwartzman and uh, and Adam mm-hmm. Scott. Uh, and it, you know, we've made fun of, not made fun of, but we've definitely called out Adam Scott for for these little tiny inconsequential parts, and, like in Black Mass. Because uh, guys like me and Dingus who loved Parks and Rec, like he he draws our like our eye goes instinctively to him when he's on screen. I, I think the guy's hilarious. I want to see what he's doing. Uh, and they give him a lot of unique stuff to do in the overnight yeah. mm-hmm. that he doesn't normally get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what, it's like the overnight was what got me excited for Krampus. Like, oh, another Adam Scott. Movie. Oh my god! Ah. I forgot. Yeah, exactly. Wow. See, see I've completely forgotten he was in Krampus. Yeah, yeah he's, that's what I'm saying. And I was the Krampus apologist on this podcast, and I totally <laughs> spaced that he was on it. Yeah. And I might have not liked Krampus enough because the overnight shot my expectations up through the like. Sure, oh, sure. Adam Scott's a genius. Yeah, it's the new Baruchel. So Kelly Wan, you also mentioned uh, as as far as movies that take place in one night, the overnight has kind of the feel. And, and normally when I say this, I'm afraid it's going to scare people off because it would scare me off. But the overnight could be a stage play, mm-hmm. like it is so tightly contained in one place, one setting. A set of characters uh, super focused on their relationships and how they evolve in a very compressed time. It's a little like that John Belushi movie, Neighbors, with Dan Aykroyd that we were talking about. But it doesn't jump the shark. It right. gets better and better and then ends big. Right, exactly. And starts big. Like there's never any downtime. Yeah, yeah. I had the same sense, Tom. I had the same sense that it should be a, or could be – I guess I should have – it should be a stage play, I think. Um, uh, there are things about it that fall off for me, but but that stage play essence to it, I think, is is its best quality. You know what, Dingus? I think I'm going to cast that. I'm going to have Kelly Wand play Jason Schwartzman's part, and oh, Dingus, God. you're going to be Adam Scott's part. 
Right. Well, I've mm-hmm. certainly got the dick for it. Oh! oh. Wow, Kelly. And a condom on his leg that fits it. <laughs> Did someone say condom? All right. What's uh, she doing in here? That's not a Star Wars joke. What the hell is she talking about? <laughs> Kelly Wan's sixth favorite movie of 2015, The Overnight. All right, let's get to another movie that one of us really liked, but only on one of our lists. My fourth favorite movie of the year. You know what? Let me give you a line. What I'm saying is that if you need to figure it out, figure it out. Can either of you guess that? No. Oh, God. So... Uh, we, we talked before about like maybe bringing up uh, our favorite acting moments of the year, and we might still talk mm-hmm. about that. Wait, but this my, is your fourth? Yeah, yeah. All right. My number four movie has my favorite acting moment of the year, and it's a scene between two characters in which one of the characters, for kind of no discernible reason, you can sort of understand that the actor is making a specific choice. You can interpret things about it, um, and you can even kind of justify it, but for whatever reason, one of the characters in this scene is whispering, and the other one is not. Uh, and it's a scene between Margot Robbie and Chuita Legiofor in a movie called Z for Zachariah. Uh, uh, Z for Zachariah is um, an apocalypse movie. Uh, it's very much this idea of what if you're the last man on Earth, uh, you're paired with a woman, what happens to that relationship? Uh, you're basically the new Adam and Eve go. Uh, you know, what do you do with humanity? What happens to things like religion and science and love and jealousy? Uh, does pettiness have a, have a place in, in, in the pursuit of survival? Uh, how do you deal with the loss and the grief? Um, and I love that about Z for Zachariah is it's not about, hey, the world had a, an outbreak and this is the disease that happened. It just fast forwards past all that. <laughs> it's to the business of two people who were the last man and woman on earth. Um, and, and one of the things in thinking about it for this list that, that came to mind for me, uh, normally in a parlor room drama, like The Overnight, or like something that I didn't care for that Kelly Wan liked, like Hateful Eight, uh, what you do is you have a tightly contained setting, and you keep the characters there, and you let things happen. Z for Zachariah is kind of the inverse of that in that instead of a tightly contained setting, you just empty out the entire world. Right. Uh, you just blow all the walls away, and there's no one else out there, and then you have a parlor room drama where an entirely empty world is your setting. Uh, and I love this take on the apocalypse. I love the performances in it. Um, you know, it, It's one of those movies where I can just sit down and watch a scene between Margot Robbie and Chuita Legiofor and just marvel at what they're doing and how they're interacting, how they're listening to each other, reading each other. Uh, so I, that's my fourth favorite movie. I love that movie. I love the look of it. I never, by the way, thought I would be as impressed. Like, Margot Robbie was just that super hot chick from Wolf of Wall Street. There's even a joke, and Dingus, I think you saw it. There's a joke in a movie called uh, The Big Short mm-hmm. where where they go, Hey, now we're going to have Margot Robbie in a bubble bath explain economics to you. And that's the joke, is there's a hot chick in a bubble bath with an English accent explaining economics. Now, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was wondering if that was, a, if that was supposed to be a wolf joke. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a reference because she's, she was in Wolf of Wall Street, I'm guessing. It's like, Why is Selena Gomez the other one? Though? Oh, my God, I know. Oh. Well, I found those parts great. Maybe we'll talk about Big Short in a minute. Actually, it's not on anybody's list, but uh, like th- those, were, I lo- those are the parts of Big Short that I could have done without. Is, yeah, me too. Let's have a celebrity say something that he or she doesn't really understand that well, but they're doing the script for it. And 
yeah, I didn't need that. Um, but at any rate, uh, Margot Robbie is way, way more than just a hot Australian chick. She was so good in this movie, especially compared to a guy who we know is amazing, like Chewie Legia for. And it was just yeah. great watching the two of them together. Yeah, I think I thought she did a great job. And one of the things I loved about uh, Zephyr Zachariah was not understanding exactly what's going on and having to figure out what's going on, but net, but never being given all the information. We don't know what has happened to make this valley the valley it is. We don't know. We don't. We just don't know. And I love that about the movie. Well, they even do. Like that's part of the theme of the movie. Like there's so many rich themes that you can dig out of this movie. To to read you for, he observes it must be the the weather patterns, the wind patterns. Right. To Margot Robbie's character, she believes that God has protected them. You know, it's right. a religion versus science. And the movie is never that facile. It's never like, oh, I'm the religious one, you're the scientific one. You know, they're two people who are, are coming together, and they just have different perspectives. And if you sort of closely follow the dialogue, it comes through very clearly. Um, and there's a lot of symbolism that's uh, not like hit you over the head with this means that. Um, just a super rich uh, script. Right, right, right. So. I agree with you. All right. Well, Dingus, you might uh, have a few choice words for me and Kelly Wan because this movie is only on your list. Uh-oh. It was muscled out just barely on my list. I don't know what Kelly Wan's deal is. But Dingus, do I have a line from this? That yes. it. I meant to look up a line. Dingus, could you give us a line from your number three movie of 2015? Neither of you had this on your list. I know. Funny? I know. Sorry. Sorry. It's I'm number 11. Chance. I would I – would, Put it as number 11 if that's a consolation prize. All right. For my number three uh, quote would be, I never met anybody new before, only Nathan. And Kelly Wan. Oh. Go ahead. Can Kelly, Kelly, can you guess this movie? Chappie? <laughs> Close. Close. Really. Cheaper. No, cold, so, cold, cold. <laughs> getting colder. What if the other character's name is, what if we gave you the name Caleb? How about Caleb? And he's been in... Maybe oh, my God. Years. He had a hell of a – both of them had a hell of a year, actually. <laughs> He's been in two other movies on my list, by the way. Oh, my God. Just, I was so elated to see him and stuff. I mean, both of those guys. Yeah. Kelly, what do you know what we're talking about yet? I thought it was Z for Zachariah. That guy's Caleb. Uh, actually, there is a Caleb in it. No, this is uh, a movie with actors named uh, – Dingus, go ahead. Q, this, Q, is, Q, this is X for X Machina. Uh, uh, that's my – Best robot. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's not a robot. So anyway, um, uh, my number three Here's movie here is uh, the movie called Ex Machina. Uh, the I, I, good lord, I didn't write a whole lot about this because I figured you two would have it on your lists too, and we'd be talking all kinds of stuff about it. Well, real quick, so let me just about Latin. Right, let me just explain. So, Dingus, what happened was it was either between like that or seventy-one. Like they were both number ten, right. number eleven. But for me, ultimately. I, I kind of preferred the the real world situation that comes out in in seventy one. I love the sci fi in, in Ex Machina. It's super sexy. There's super cool concepts. It's very character driven. Um, but ultimately, I ended up gravitating towards seventy one. And I did with Larry Gay. <laughs> very good. <laughs> but it was a tough choice. So yeah. yeah, me too. But it was super high up on your list. So is your number three thing? Is there's only two movies of the year you liked better? Explain yourself. I'm crazy about Ex Machina. I think it's I think it's just an incredibly made movie. Um, I was uh, that's my dog shaking her dog collar. Sorry, good girl. 
Um, good girl. Thank you. Um, uh, I was talking to somebody just like two days ago, maybe yesterday, and the and the the guy said, uh, you know, what are some movies that you liked last year? Uh, and I said, well, Ex Machina is one of them. And he said, well, a bunch of my friends said that they thought it was not a good movie because it's sexist. Um, huh? What? Huh? What? Huh? Well, what? what we ended up saying is that, well, that's kind of one of the points that the movie is making. It's about sexism. Uh, right. Um, so anyway, let me just let me just walk us through why I love this movie so freaking much. Uh, and I watched uh, part of it again today. I, I put all these movies back in just to, just to make sure, because when if you see a movie from several months ago, you you know you start a movie list early in the year, or I do. Uh, I'm sure you guys do too, or one of you does. Um, and you, <laughs> you start like writing about movies early in the year and thinking about is this going to be on my list? Is this not going to be on my list? X Machina. The moment I saw it, I thought, oh man, this thing is going to wind up on my list. But I had to, you know, put put the disc back in and just check it out again. Uh, and man, the moment the thing started up, it's, it's, I just immediately got drawn into it. That whole weird thing where Donald Gleason is, is at his computer and then he's on the helicopter dropped off and putting in his card and getting that weird picture taken of himself and finally being invited into Oscar Isaac's, you know, compound and meeting him. All of those things. I was really just, I'm just nuts about this movie because, uh, gosh, I, I can't give you my best miscellaneous thingy because it's a spoiler, and we don't do spoilers here. Um, I don't know that I can give you my image because I think this movie kind of becomes, for me, and it wasn't this way for you two, but it becomes a horror movie for me in a weird way, uh, and I really love that about it, and that's kind of linked into what that guy was saying about people objecting it to it being a sexist movie um but but the uh but the the acting the um the the cg uh the whatever you're doing with the the costumes and the um any of that stuff is is amazing to me the setting is beautiful i love the sense of place and the production design and this thing and the music is just beautiful to me uh I, I I don't know. I just can't. I I don't think of this as just a science fiction movie. I think of it more as sci-fi horror. But that's kind of my thing. It's popularly thought of more as a sci-fi movie. What's amazing about it to me, Dingus, is almost every scene is just a couple of people talking to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. that's so rare that you can make a compelling movie out of that. It's so it's rare that disturbing. And it's so rare that I mean it's it's got effects, but it's ultimately just two people talking to each other. Uh, yeah. Um, and another amazing thing is that it's Alex Garland's first time directing. I mean, he's been mm-hmm. in Hollywood for a, a while writing scripts, but it, it's his first time actually directing a movie, and yeah. you would never guess from watching it. Um, it just it it's so skillfully directed. Uh, you know, it's I can, not just that he directed it; it's that he's directing a script he wrote, and he's a scriptwriter, and he has the discipline to make a movie that is this tight uh, as as a screenwriter. Um, I, I love that about the way that this, this movie is directed by the guy who wrote it, who is used to writing his own stuff, and he 
trims it this carefully. I mean, this movie is very economical. Yeah. What were you going to say? I, you were going to say something else. I'm sorry. Oh no, no. I just uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I've I've liked Alex Garland's stuff. But, I mean, the 28 Days Later. Uh, you know, I think it's like a seminal zombie movie at a time when zombie movies were kind of a cliche. And I just think he's a, he's a brilliant writer, and it's great to see him turned loose. You know, I can't wait to see where he goes from here. And yeah, and yeah, just uh, I, both of those guys, like I've said, it's so awesome seeing them pop up at the, the places they popped up this year. Right. Um, and it kind of, you know, this is this is the place where it's really just those two, you know, Oscar Isaacs and Donald Gleason. Uh, you know what? Put them in a room, let them talk to each other. It's awesome. Yeah. Ghost gives Dan Aykroyd Earl six. And what's what? It's just. Let me just say, it's just wonderful to be at various Hollywood, or not Hollywood, because I don't go to Hollywood parties, but holiday parties, like in you know various places, and have people start talking about movies and say, well, who's that guy in that movie? And say, this is that guy. He was also that guy, and have people's eyes pop open because Donald Gleason, when they when they go, oh, he's that guy, and then you say it's Oscar Isaac, and they go, oh, is that guy with the beard? He was in that movie too. What? Uh, it's. I love the way that they're, they're such great actors, um, and to have people being unable to recognize them because they're so great is really quite a pleasure to to, to see happen. It's it's a weird pleasure to see happen. Yeah, I'm afraid though, Dingus, for those two guys, those days are over. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope. Well, I hope so. Yeah. You can't, no, you can't very well be in a Star Wars movie and not become a household name. I mean, Absolutely. that's yeah. So or yeah. Lewin Davis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, the next movie is Dingus's number five of the year. Ooh. It is my number nine. Kelly couldn't even be bothered to put it on his list. Kelly, I'm going to give you a quote. Fish you, tank. You guessed the movie. No, it's a 2015 movie. Oh. Here's the quote. Nothing will make sense to your American ears, and you will doubt everything that we do, but in the end, you will understand. Godzilla? <laughs> Dang, Close. Tom, that's the exact quote I wrote down. On oh, my, no way. This exact quote. All right, well, you ranked it super high. Uh, Dingus, tell us why, what it is and why you liked it so much. All right, well, this is the movie Sicario. Um Mm. And when I, at the end of the year, this is, again, I think I just prattled on about this a minute ago, so I won't go on. Uh, but I looked at it again today just thinking, did I really like that this much? But damn, um, what I wrote, what I said to you guys, and I, I actually listened to part of, our, part of our podcast again to find out, did I really feel this way about the movie? What I said to you guys was it's utterly brilliant and utterly exhausting. Um, I'm amazed by this movie. Uh I love – I'm crazy about this movie, and I can't believe Kelly didn't even say anything. And, it was and Tom, it's your number nine? Yeah, yeah, it's my number nine, and, and partly because uh, you know it, it's a dark, violent, exciting movie. It's, it's a thriller. Uh, it has a really nice, unexpected shift as it goes along. Uh, but most importantly, and part of what I really resonated with is it's got a very trenchant political message. Uh, yeah. And I I just love that in a movie, and we we all know uh, Denis Villeneuve did a movie called Enemy, which we all love. He is so good at at really insidiously making things look 
ominous and just ratcheting up tension without using the usual tricks. Like it's super almost subliminal. Uh, You know, the opening scene is this bright sunlit subdivision and it's Mm. just it's just like it's so creepy. You know, how do you make a bright sunlit subdivision in Arizona look creepy? And and he does it. Uh, So and also you mentioned something else. But was it? You mentioned thinking of something where uh, the movie is you're, – you're, you're trying to figure out what's going on as the movie goes along. Uh, and I love that in Sicario is it's an unfolding story that's always a couple of steps ahead of you pulling you along with it, and it's that way for a reason because that's the perspective of the movie through uh, Emily Blunt's eyes. Like you're right. sort of along with her learning what's going on, uh, having to catch up. Uh, and and I love a movie that does that, that has you looking at a scene going, wait, what, why? Uh, and then explains it over the course of the movie. Uh, yeah. And, and I, had, I, I had a slightly different interpretation of the, uh, of the outcome of the movie oh, yeah. than you, you guys did. And I really liked, you know, I don't often like to listen to our podcasts because I don't like hearing my voice. Um, but I listen to them just to hear, you know, the way I sound so I can adjust it. Um, but listening to part of the Sicario podcast again, uh, I, re- I remembered that we had a disagreement and you two had one sense of what was going on with the protagonist. And I had a different sense of what was going on with the protagonist. And this is another one of those movies where you put it in and I just wanted to get a sense of like a couple of scenes in the movie, like how those SUVs, those black SUVs are working through the border or, uh, you know, all, all the agents after that discovery of that house that Tom was just talking about, how they reacted to it. Um, I just wanted to get a sense of that, but I couldn't turn the damn thing off because uh, it's just so well done. It's so well put together and and so well acted. And and you're right, Tom, uh, that this this guy and I, I never know how to say his name, Den- Dennis or Denis um, Villeneuve or Villeneuve. It's a, it's Denis Villeneuve. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Yeah. Um, I he's one of these directors that I just can't wait to see what he does next. Well, you know what he's doing next, don't you? Uh, I'm sure you've told me before, but I forget. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you know what Denis Villeneuve's next movie is? Batman vs. Superman? No, I love bringing this up. I mean, I would normally be a little leery of it, but it's with Roger Deakins again, who shot Sicario with him. Oh, you're uh, right. Yeah, Roger Deakins. At, uh, Ryan Gosling is cast in the lead, and it's uh, it's the Blade Runner follow-up. I mean, it oh, has... What? It's supposed to start, start shooting this summer, so I never... You know, these things can always fall through. But right now, this summer, he's supposed to start, start shooting the Blade Runner follow-up with uh, Ryan Gosling. Holy fuck, I I know, I know. And I, I would normally be like, eh, Blade Runner or whatever. But whatever he does next, and if he wants to take something like that, boy, more power to him. Make well, a- even I said when we saw the, uh, um, Heart, of the Heart of the Sea movie, I was like, if, if I could pick somebody else to do this movie and, instead of Ron Howard, I'd pick this guy. Just, is, just hard- to see what he would do with it. Heart of the Sea might be on someone's list. Don't, uh... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Don't be such a priss. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, way too obscure. Uh, for, uh, for a movie with some awesome uh, action scenes this year, uh, only because of certain other movies that came out, it, this isn't the case, but one of the best se- action scenes of the year was that trip from El Paso to Juarez back to El Paso in mm-hmm. Sicario. Oh, my God, that sequence was awesome. Uh, I loved that. Yeah, it's a dumb commute. 
That's for sure. But watching the way that Emily Blunt deals with it as as they're going down there, and 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 her fear and uh, and not understanding what in the world she's gotten into, but also the way that one of the things watching it again is the way she's constantly insisting. I'm not allowed to do these things. You don't have jurisdiction over this. I don't have jurisdiction over that. I, I love that she's – and she's not doing that as a prick. She's being very clear. These are the rules. And Josh Brolin's like, yeah, whatever. You can leave if you want. And I think every movie needs to have Josh Brolin in flip-flops. That's just <laughs> – that's really – you give me that and you're halfway to a great movie as far as I'm concerned. Most I will – <laughs> Very good thing. I, you know what? I like to think that under the table, he was wearing flip-flops yeah. in that inherent vice scene. Uh, I can tell you this for sure. In Labor Day with Kate Winslet, he does not wear flip-flops, and that movie suffers for it. All right, Kelly Wand. I was disillusioned when I infiltrated the Empire, too, Tom. <laughs> I shot my way to the top. Kelly Wand, hold that thought and tell us a little bit about – I was going to do a quote from – your movie, but uh, it has the N-word in it, so I'm going to pass. Um, Kelly wants such a bitch. Do you want me to say it? Yeah. All right. I said it earlier. All right, here we go. Uh, wait, I wrote it down. Because I haven't seen this movie, so I, I looked... <laughs> I didn't realize that was all it took to, to get to turn you. <clears throat> want me to say it? Oh, uh, yeah. All right, I'm going to do it. All right. Uh, You're quoting. N- okay, great. Good, good point. Here we go. Nigger said something about my ma, so I beat his ass. All right, Kelly Wan, this is your number two favorite movie of 2015. There's only one movie you liked better than this. Wait, what? that's not. It is on the list you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> this is from SpongeBob, the other movie. <laughs> it's my number two? <laughs> you sent me an email that said, my, oh, let me, uh, my oh, awesome. Oh, I thought you were quoting my first. Oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, so tell us, what is your number two, and why do you like it so much? I haven't seen it. Dingus saw it. Uh, so. Oh, Dingus saw it? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. quoting it earlier. He, uh, kinda, he didn't wave me off, but he kind of said, you know what, it's not like it's not super urgent that you watch it, but you should see it at some point. So uh, I want, what is it? Well, apparently it's your number two favorite movie of 2015. What is it, and why is it so good? Yeah, but you're not a jock like me and Dingus. Good point. My number two movie of the year. Of the year. Is the movie Creed? Now wait, is that the one? Wow, that's your number two movie. Yeah, uh, and is that the one where uh, where Jake Gyllenhaal's like super buff? No, it's about a band. <laughs> they play guitar. They're white and they look kind of like Nelson. I don't know who Nelson is. They're like Creed, the band. I know who Creed is. I don't know who Nelson is. That's weird. They're the sons of, of Ricky Nelson. Hello, Creed is. Yep. Are. Anyway, Creed, um, that's oh, so good. The fights, I don't want to spoil anything for him, Dingus. I'm really stuck. I'm not well, good at We don't spoil this. anything during this podcast regardless. Yeah, you can tell me but why. I, I, I love this movie, so let's talk about it. It's just a great movie. He's such a great character. He's Michael B. Jordan. It's just such a perfect casting choice for to play a Rocky-like protagonist because he has that, like... What Jordana Brewster said about Paul Walker, where he's like all light, I kind of get that from Michael B. Jordan, too. Like, I, it's hard for me to picture him playing a villain, kind of. I wonder if he could do it. Well, sure he could do it. You think? Yeah, all we've he... seen him play is awesome dudes. 
Right. I guess the Human Torch was kind of... Uh... He gets a little dark in that. In Chronicle, he's a little weird. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. But even then, he's just sowing his wild oats. So why do you love this so much? I just thought it was the perfect movie. I was always invested, and I believed in all the characters. It never jumped the shark. I think that's what it came down to. It was like all the characters seemed really convincing, and it was in a really they're, and they're living in the, like the stupid Rocky universe where it's like. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think dad, about? His, what do you think about Sylvester Stallone? In it? He's really good at it, and he has to. It's it's a very it's a kind of a a challenging role in a lot of ways. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it takes a lot of balls to do to do that kind of role for that character too. Like only nine years after the last one, like it's definitely not a vanity piece. No, and no, no. He's it's the opposite against that, but he's been doing yeah. that for years. You know, ever since Copland, he's been doing that sort of. I'm going to try to not be tough guy, right? I'm going to try to be a little fat, and whatnot. But this is even more so. I agree. With yeah. You. And to spoil the Rocky, Rocky Four a little bit, like that's the one where uh, Apollo Creed uh, dies when he's fighting the Russian in that movie, Ivan Drago. Mm. So, which is the dumbest Rocky movie, I think. But it's like, look what you can turn that into. Right. From humble things, great works can be made. Write that down. All right. Inspiring filmmakers. I think I think I just expected a little more of Ryan Coogler after Fruitvale. Um, what? What do you mean more? It, it was, but if they, it, they signed this, a, is, this is kind of a standard. I mean, this is a standard one of these movies. I mean, it's it's artfully made. I agree, uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna because uh, I, I loved it too. Um, it's very but, formulaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm oh. not gonna knock your choice because I think it's a it's a it's a it's a well made movie and, and it is very well made, uh, but it's it's pretty standard as far as this kind of movie is concerned. It's got a little more depth to it, and certainly Michael B. Jordan is great and it's got some great like funny little moments with the chicken and whatnot. Yeah, um, there's and, uh, and I and I totally love that whole. Uh, I'm, you know, his name is Johnson. I'm going to be. I don't want to. Your, you know, your baby Creed. No, no. I'm, my name is. This is my my name. This is my actual name. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like that stuff. And the wrap up was great. Well, yeah, well, we we can't talk about that right now. No, but. I know, but I'm saying, and but it hit like his, the the other characters, his the uh, the other uh, athletes in the movie, I thought were really well realized. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. For one of these kind of movies, like especially compared to like Rocky Four, where it's just like exactly the tallest, strongest monstrosity on the planet. Is basic and and Russian, like that's his character is he's Russian, as opposed to in this movie where it's all the way they introduced each of the different. I can't spoil it. Ugh. It's my number two. I was just right. well, by this. It, I almost ranked it higher. Kelly, one that whole I can't yeah, spoil it is you should how you should feel about every movie that we mention. <laughs> I know it's just hard to know. Me. So if I if I say that's my safe word phrase, if I just repeat it, I'm trying not to get bleeped because I know it's a pain in the ass. And right, I really so, want people to see Creed, so it's like I feel strongly in not spoiling this one. Do you so, know what, what Ryan Coogler's next project is? No, RoboCop. Unfortunately, it's a Marvel thing. It's a Black Panther. I don't know who Black Panther is. It's a Black Panther movie. Is it with Michael B. Jordan? I don't think there's, it's been cast yet. It's just been announced that that's supposedly his next project. Uh, yeah, shit. I mean, I kind of hate to see him having to do Justice Licenses. Movie. Yeah, yeah. But 
Well, that's what happened for Lawrence. I that's having to do. I think he's making these choices for financial reasons, I would guess. Yeah, but it'd be cool to spice it up. I don't know. What is Black Panther? He's a superhero. Kieran and I'll explain. He's a dude who fights crime dingus. Yeah. He fights trees? What does he do? Crime. No, he's like like Superman, but... but He's a black dude. He's African in origin, and he wears a panther costume that's also black, so he's super... Oh, he has to wear... So he's not like Manimal? No. I think he just runs around. That that's Dingus's uh his his context for superheroes. <laughs> is it like Manimal? Oh, he's black. Okay, he's not like Manimal then. <laughs> so uh, it's costume. It, I know. I know. Costume I know. jerk. I'm just look. So one of the trends on this week's uh, this this year's top ten list, we all for our number two pick picked something that nobody else even picked. So Dingus, what is your second favorite movie of the year? And why don't you give us a quote from it? Wait a minute. I'm the only one who picked this movie? Yep. I mean, I loved it, but uh, it didn't make my top ten. But, yep. Give us a quote. All right. Here's I a can't quote wait from to it. Hear a quote from this movie. All right. Here you go, Kelly. That's not how the force works. Oh, that's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Why did you like Jurassic World that much? <laughs> because that, the Indominus Rex is so awesome. Abdominus. And I'm, and I'm sure they're going to figure it out at some point. They're going to find that thing and Abdomino then Creed. prove that Indominus Rex is real, and we're going to love that. Um, ha ha, Tom didn't put it on his list, and now you look silly, don't you? No, I loved it. I'm glad. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll talk about why it's not on the list in, in a little bit, but uh, uh, let's talk about what's great about it. Hmm. All right, so this Kelly Wand, you can't participate in this discussion, by the way, because you didn't like it. Uh-huh. I saw it again, and I have more theories. On nope, it. you sit in the corner. Dingus and I are going to talk about fine. it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, nope, it's uh, Kelly in a corner. Uh, this is Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Oh God! <laughs> and it was uh, vying for the number two spot um, between this and Creed, but uh, it beat it out barely. <laughs> Um, uh, my, uh, my best miscellaneous thingy is this great mental connection, weird scene that happens between two characters named Ray and Wren, um, where two really good actors vie, uh, against each other with no dialogue. They're just looking at each other. Uh, and it is a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you'd say retread or remake, but it it covers some of the same territory that uh, A New Hope uh, covers. You know, it's a desert planet. Some of the same things are happening, uh, but I just think it's such a fresh way to 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 get us back into this universe. And um, I don't. Know, I was just. It, this almost was my number one movie of the year. I was so crazy about this movie. I was. I was. I was, uh, I, I got myself actively excited about it. I, I thought it was going to be terrible for the whole year. And when we got to December, I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to get excited about it. And if it's terrible, it's terrible, but I'm just going to get excited about watching it because I know my son is at the right age that I can actually take him to it. Uh, and I can see it with friends of mine and we can all go see it together. And, it was this awesome experience of seeing it in the theater where people were cheering, and I really think it's a beautifully made movie. I'm utterly flabbergasted by how 
great it is, actually, and I can't believe Kelly Wan doesn't like it. Um, and it, uh, it just exceeded my expectations. Uh, and by far, of all the movies I've seen this year, this is the best experience I had in a movie theater this year. I know I said earlier that watching The Tribe was the best feeling of being sort of in a movie as a theatrical experience. But this was the best experience in a movie theater, seeing a movie that I had this year. It was just unbelievable. And, you know, I have to admit, I I, I cried like six times during this damn movie. It was ridiculous. Uh, uh, I mean, I was just overwhelmed by it. I'm very yeah. touched by that, Dingus. Thank you. And I, you cried once for each episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would describe it as a joyous iterations of things I'd already seen and was delighted to see again. Uh, I was just so happy with it. And I, uh, yeah, I, I share. I mean, I. It's like the movie Joy. No, it's nothing like the movie Joy. Thank oh, God. So I, I was just, I mean, I was just grinning the whole time, and it was just, and I went in completely ready to poo-poo it. Like, I had my arms crossed, and I was like, okay, let's get this over with, uh, and was just so won over. So, yeah, I had a great time. I mean, there were 10 things I liked better that I sort of more personally resonated with more. Um, but, yeah, what what an awesome, uh, it, it was like it was like something that had been lost to me that was, <laughs> that, was, that was rescued. Yeah. Uh, it was an unlikely rescue. Uh, oh, yeah, Kelly Wanda, I would like to say I did that intentionally. Uh, now that you got it. <laughs> right, now that you explained it to me. Because um, J.J. Abrams created Lost. See? I got it. Yeah. That's not what I meant at all. Absolutely not. <laughs> you meant something that had been dead that had mysteriously come back. Something that a guy, yeah, basically whacked over the head with a shovel and buried and dug back up and then peed on and then buried it again and then kicked dirt on it and then guys dug it are up right and... here. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so glad that George Lucas handed this over to someone who knows what he's doing, a company that knows what they're doing, basically. Yeah. And we were gentle with him in our podcast, and then he came came around during Charlie Rose and started peeing on the, like, oh. Yeah. What did he pee on? What did he pee on? <laughs> George Lucas? Yeah. Started saying, George oh, I, he was talking about how much he doesn't like it, and he called Disney <sighs> white flavors. And He said he doesn't like Force Awakens. Wait, I thought he liked Force, it. Force Awakens? He didn't like it? I thought yeah. I already did like it. Oh, that's hilarious. Of course he doesn't like it, because it shows what, what a hack he is. Yeah. Wait a minute. Is that new? Is that recent? Cause, yeah, like, just within the last couple of days. Like, oh, he, yeah, I think it was... Charlie Rose, I'm not sure. White slavery? I can't wait to read this he, article. He called, he called Disney white slavers, and he can't do anything with... Well, that I heard about. People. I think he, did, he was just saying it was like slavers. like letting go of it was like selling your children to white slavers. Like, I, oh, I don't necessarily okay. said Disney is white slavers. He's like the first coach. That, that was the implication, but I, but uh, it was clearly oh, like, right. clumsy. But I didn't know that he didn't like it, though. That is hilarious. No, I didn't either. I can't wait to read the quotes. Wait, I have a question. Yes, Kelly Wan. And so Kelly Wan, oh, go ahead, Dingus. I think that he didn't like it because he had a bunch of ideas where the story should go. <laughs> I'm sure and, he did. And they said, yeah, that's nice. Uh, we're going to do we'll this. Use your old and ones. He's like, well, that's just retro. Why would you do retro? Th- these are my ideas. And But he doesn't have any say over where the actual stories go, and I think he's a little bitter about that. I have a question. You guys have five seconds to answer it. Uh-oh. Okay, we're starting the clock. Go. What are Ray's character flaws? 
None. Okay, thank you. What? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Should the forces awaken her before the movie starts, bro? Fuck that shit. So you went and saw it again, Kelly. I saw it again with someone who was really into it. And my refined opinion of the movie is the first 40 minutes or so are fucking great. And I actually love it. And I go, I was an idiot. What was I thinking? (laughs) God, these wheat gummy bears are delicious. And then what what happened after 40 minutes, though? Then Han shows up and they go to the the, the bar and everything after. And then as it goes on, I fizzle out. Yeah, I like that it's a bar now. It's not a cantina. It's a bar. <laughs> so and the so, things just there in the chest. And the so the more things. people we send to see it with you, the more the goodness of the movie will stretch out. Yeah, so, we got him for the first forty minutes, Dingus. Now we just have to work on it like ten minutes at a time. Eventually, right. well, I guess my first words were, "I have a mixed feeling about this," and I that's <laughs> it's. But I didn't. I didn't. The second time I noticed, it's actually a line of demarcation, like it's like a chop right in the middle. I think. Because I'm really rooting for it. I went into it as jazzed as I think Dingus was, not you, Tom. You went in a little cynical, and I was like, you know what? Episode seven, bitches, let's do this. <laughs> I'll take and it, it, and it does. It's super better than the prequels. Like ninety six percent. Are you guys nuts? It always helps to go in a little cynical, Kelly Wan, because you can no, only win in that case. Yeah. Well, what's funny was what didn't what made me less cynical was like he had a quote where he's like, "We gotta like earn. You can't just coast on nostalgia. You gotta like make nostalgia the future, the nostalgia of tomorrow by being awesome." And then he just like, "There's a lot of nostalgia in that fucking movie." <laughs> like, all right, soft, whatever. I could go on for hours. Kelly Wan, are you ready for me to get back at Dingus for putting two step on his list? He is a white slavery apologist, we just found out. George Lucas? No, Dingus, because he likes Star Wars. And it's on his list. And it's no, no, actually, if you like Star Wars, that makes you opposed to... Like, it's George Lucas who hates Star Wars, who likes... Wait. Let's whatever. disagree to agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> now you just say words. Yeah. Okay, this is my second favorite movie of the year, and neither of you guys have seen it. So I'm going to give you a line from it, and then you're going to guess what it is from the line. You ready? Here's the line. Tom Fick's number two movie of the year opens with these words sorry hey uh, a schnapps you know a schnapps one one schnapps that is the opening line of a movie in which the girl is then given a vodka and she's like yeah okay and she drinks her vodka and it's a little miscue between two people who speak a different language uh a little confused exchange that will characterize a lot of what else happens in the movie and what follows is 133 minutes of a single continuous handheld shot that ranges far and wide through Berlin all in the course of one night. And the shot is tethered to two incredibly heartfelt performances. Just hard, these, these actors are so good in a movie called Victoria. Uh, oh, fuck. And that's kind of a spoiler. I mean, it's not a spoiler because that's the press about Victoria. And even the tagline is something like one night, one city, one take. Uh, and I would have loved for someone to go see Victoria and not know that it is one take. Um, but that's that's the press about it. That's the conventional wisdom is that it's uh, – oh, shoot. Michael Shipper? His last name is Shipper. I might be screwing up his first name. But it's this director's uh, – it's it, that like it's his – virtuoso filmmaking bit. He's like a new guy where he just does this all in one take. Uh, and now that that's a gimmick, right? And we've seen that like in time code, uh, 
you know, Hitchcock kind of pioneered it with, with rope, supposedly, even though that cheats it. Right. Uh, but but what, what Victoria does that these other one-take gimmicks or even just long-shot gimmicks don't do, um, the unique power of a movie – a movie completely different, you know, movies are completely different from other media, in that a movie pulls you into someone's life in a way that is not possible in another medium. Like with a book or with poetry, you can get into someone's inner monologue, you can get inside their head, but but it's still words that separate you from that person, and words are just signifiers for actual things, so a book or a poem is always going to be once removed. Um there's a unique capacity to watch an actor doing something and to, to empathize with the actor. Now, theater also, that's a great way to do it. But theater has such strict contrivances because you're sitting in a room with someone. Your perspective isn't going to move. You'll always be at a fixed distance. Nothing is going to happen that can't be simulated on a stage. There won't be any editing. And more importantly, you will never be as close to the actor as you would be to a real person and is as close as a movie can get you, a camera where you can see in someone's eyes. Uh, so, so movies have a unique capacity to trick you into involving you in someone else's life, into making you think you're seeing something real. There's, there's a new capacity for intimacy and immediacy in movies that even theater doesn't have. Um, and Victoria as a movie – is the best of the immediacy and intimacy you get with a theater and the spectacle of movie making. Um, and a lot of it is that one-trick gimmick, but most of it is the actors. Uh, a lot of it is improvised. Uh, they, they, it took, they did three different attempts at this, and the, the, the actual movie is the third attempt. Uh, there's a lot of improv between actors who speak different languages. Um, and it's very awkward at times, uh, but, but very genuine. Uh, and, and what you get with this, uh, it's been characterized as different genres, and I'm even reluctant to say what genre it's normally characterized as. But what you get with this real-time portrayal of two people and the awkwardness between them – there's other people in the movie, by the way uh, – is a, a real-time representation of two people falling in love, which is something everybody of a certain age understands. Um, and I have never seen a movie – with as much raw energy as Victoria has. Uh, so Dingus, I was going to recommend that you see it, uh, but I, I thought back to me watching The Tribe and sort of trying to fit it into uh, seeing it for, for year-end lists. Uh, I don't want you to feel pressured to sit through Victoria, because it's over two hours, uh, and it really does pull you in, like the way you described the tribe. Uh, but it's not challenging. I mean, it's not. It doesn't. It, it's not doing anything like the tribe is trying to sort of show you. Here's another world you can't entirely enter. You're going to be frustrated because they're not talking to you. Victoria is kind of the opposite of that. Uh, is here's people who don't understand each other, and you can be part of their confusion, their awkwardness, and their charm. Um, so I want you to take your time with seeing Victoria and, and not feeling rushed. Uh, how does it? I mean, it makes me think of Before Sunrise, of course. But uh, okay, yeah. I mean, uh, so I, Before Sunrise is very. There's a lot of pontificating and philosophy. Like it's one yeah. of Richard Linklater's sort of. Um, hey, I'm going to talk a lot about something. Uh, Victoria is is entirely experiential. Nobody okay. ever pontificates in Victoria. You're you're just it's day to day. I mean, it's so completely real time. There's no editing. There's no like written monologues or it's just people interacting with each other. 
Victoria also, and this isn't a spoiler, but I just want to highlight this. Uh, we've seen some amazing scenes recently of, of actors playing music. Um, John Hawkins is, is awesome at a couple of moments. Like in, in Winter's Bone, his teardrop when he plays a banjo, when he's doing this guitar song in Martha Marcy May Marlene. Uh, J- uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, her song in Hateful Eight, I really liked that. Uh, my favorite scene ever of someone playing music is in Victoria. Um, oh, wow. Holy so, cats, really? Yeah, just... Uh, it's just uh, out of left field, and it, I, I'm hesitant to say too much about it because it's, it's sort of like a fulcrum moment in the movie. Uh, but yeah, so and, – and like I said, again, I will stand by this. I've never seen a movie with this much raw energy. It's just an amazing accomplishment that this got captured on film with, with one take. Wow. Uh, and, and there's no cheating. By the way, it's not – like when Gaspar Noe did uh, Irreversible, uh, he did these long takes, and any time that the crew got caught in the shot – he would just CG it out. Uh, there's no CG in uh, in Victoria. Like none of this is cheated. This is this guy's first movie. He doesn't have the resources for that. So they had to like plot out where in the city they were going, when they were going to be certain places, you know, what the traffic would be like. Because uh, it's not. It's, this could not be a play, by the way. Uh, it, it's amazing where they go and the things that, that happen in front of this the camera in this one take. Um, and what's his name? Uh, oh, uh, Shipper is his last name. A shipper, all right. Michael Shipper, Sebastian Shipper. Uh, right. But uh, and, and more importantly, the, Sebastian Shipper, right? Uh, the actress is a woman I've never seen before named Laia Costa, and the actor is a guy named Frederick Lau. And you will definitely remember them after after you see Victoria. Wow. So there's whenever anybody would bring up the uh, uh, the Eddie Redmayne thing. Um, Danish Girl. Danish Girl, I would think. Have you seen that Eddie Redmayne? And I would say Victoria. Because uh, I, I don't know why I've heard of this movie, but I equated it with that, and I didn't bother to pay attention to what you're talking about. That's I think you it, you might, like, yeah, it, it might be easy to mistake Victoria as being something about Queen Victoria. You know? <laughs> but, I don't know. But it's not. The actress is the character's name is just Victoria. I mean, that's all, all right. there is to it. It's just right. hey, there's one of the characters' names. Uh, so, all right, that was my second favorite of the movie of the year. There's only one movie I liked better. Just like there's only one movie Dingus liked better than Star Wars, and there's only one movie Kelly Wan liked better than Creed. But before we get to those, <laughs> let's talk about my number six movie and Dingus's number four. This again is why I'm so glad. Like. Like, Dingus and I will drop hints to each other about, like, oh, you know, make sure you see this, and yeah, you should probably see that, and well, maybe no hurry with this. Dingus kind of apologetically told me, you know what, you need to see this. Uh, and I knew, just knew from the tone of his voice, like, well, rats, okay, I guess what I'll about watch me, coach? this. You didn't have to see it. Well, you'll, you should see it now, but uh, mm-hmm. it was definitely something like, I think Dingus knew, yeah, Tom's really going to like this, and I would be remiss if I didn't make sure he saw it before the end of the year. So, my sixth favorite movie of the year, Dingus' is fourth. Dingus, here's the line I picked out of it, and I'll be curious what you came up with. Uh, wh- okay, here we go. The line is, we buried, we buried the story in Metro, no follow. Right. And that's such a powerful moment that means nothing if you haven't seen it. Dingus, what would be your line? We should probably get these to go. <laughs> when is that? This is just when they're having a conversation and they realize uh, what what they're doing. They they should get what they're doing. They shouldn't be having this conversation in public. 
Is this Spectre? This is not. This is from a movie called Spotlight. Ah, fuck. Kelly wants Spotlight. You may not realize this. It's from a director whose last movie had Adam Sandler as a guy who steals cars, goes on this weird manipulative date with his own mother, and would have raped a woman if he could have gotten his pants off over his shoes. True story. All of those. That was a movie called The Cobbler. Oh, it takes me back. (laughs) It's what what Thomas McCarthy did before Spotlight. All right, so the thing is, why is this your number four movie? Why did you come to me and say, you know what, Tom, you're going to have to see this for your top ten list. What's the deal with this boring movie about uh, journalism? No, The Cobbler is about cobblers. Spotlight is about – it's not about spotlights. It's about journalism. The snore, right? It's a procedural Oh, how boring. Oh, my God, how boring. You're watching people do research then, Dingus? <laughs> how boring is that? Um, I'm I'm nuts about this in the same way that I'm crazy about Margin Call and that I'm in that I ah. think that Zodiac is such a good movie. I, I I think this fits in the in that same wheelhouse and why I think that this movie and um and Margin Call are it, well, I really liked The Big Short, which we haven't talked about yet. Uh I think that that Margin Call gets that idea better. I think this movie gets that understands how to how to structure that and how to create. A, a, this isn't a police procedural like Zodiac would be. This is a journalistic procedural, um, and it it talks about the you know, the uncovering and uh, bringing to light the the uh, molestation scandal the priest molestation scandal in Boston, in particular in Boston, um, in the Catholic Church. And it has such a, a clear understanding of what it takes to make a dramatic procedural work. Uh, that's what I love about this movie. And I didn't know that Tom McCarthy had, to, had this in him. You know, I, I, mean, I love this guy because of, you know, because of Station Agent, basically. And the visitor. And the visitor. Absolutely, because of the visitor. Um, I cannot, I, I just can't, I can't, I, know, I can't talk highly enough of this. I mean, the cast is uh, absolutely amazing, but it's not just that they're well cast. It's they're doing weird things. I mean, Rachel McAdams is in a weird – he's doing things that I've never seen her do. And Mark Ruffalo is even – you know, he's done all kinds of things. I've seen him do all kinds of roles. He's doing something totally different in this. You know what surprised me? Because there's a little bit of – this sort of like physically hunched over thing, almost like a bear that he was doing in Foxcatcher. I mean, it's not the same character. Right. But there's there's so much like weird physicality and stance stuff that he does. The way he holds his head. Um, I mean, it's clearly like it, it's just a sign of what an ingenious actor he is. Right. It, right. it doesn't seem like a put on. It seems like oh, this isn't this isn't the guy in the Avengers movies. This is something completely different. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely different. Um, but some of that same. That, I, I didn't even think of that. I was thinking more of at the beginning of, uh, weirdly enough, Avengers when he's hunched over in that room with um, Scarlett Johansson and he's kind of rubbing his hands and he's like trying not to break up. But he doesn't have any of that same energy. He, he has a totally different energy here, and so does Rachel McAdams. Which and the the total revelation for me though is is Liev Schreiber. I know, <laughs> so amazing. He he might be my favorite thing of the movie, and yeah. he he's not. I mean, one of the things that I was reluctant about. 
for Spotlight was that I'd heard about it time and again from uh, from podcasts that I listened to that a lot of journalists talk about how much they love this movie. And I was worried that it was an insider kind of movie. We love it because we're journalists. And a couple of the journalists were talking about it because it talks about the people they worked for and the people they idolize. Um, and so I was like, oh, no, this is going to be just so insidery. And they keep talking about uh, All the President's Men, which I like, but I don't want to revisit. I don't want to see another one of those kinds of movies. Um but this movie, when I watched it, as much as I was reluctant to kind of get into that journalistic procedural kind of thing, uh, I was totally swept away by how well it was structured, how well it's edited, and how dramatic it is in in a, a subject that I don't really care to know that much about because it's a disgusting subject, and it's it's something that I think we all know about by now. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a period piece. Um, but it brings so many interesting things to light about the way the differences for me, the differences between the way journalism worked then and the way journalism would work now in this in this same situation and how those things would coincide uh, for me watching this movie uh, not only it, it was it interesting to watch. And and so great because the some so the, so much of the dialogue was great, but wondering how they would break this scandal now as opposed to how they broke the scandal then, where they could say, let's wait a few weeks. I mean, can you wait a few weeks now? But they're on the cusp of things going on the website now. Uh, so, I mean, it's not that long ago, but it's radically different now. And I love the way that 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 Tom McCarthy makes this thing so dramatic. I mean, I'm just crazy about this movie. Well, the thing that was a, an obstacle for me is that I was like, oh, it's, I, I heard it was about the, the the scandal with priests molesting children. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to see that. Like, I, yeah. I'd almost rather see a Holocaust movie. And that, that oh, geez. Uh, so I was bracing myself for that. But it, it's not about I, – I don't think it's about that. Like, like the movie Doubt – is about you know whether it happens and mm-hmm. how it relates to the institution and how the people inside the Catholic Church feel about it and whether or not you can know. And Doubt is an amazing script, amazing movie, amazing performances. But Spotlight isn't that. Spotlight is not about what happens or how it happens or, or, or whether it happens even. Spotlight is about how we discovered that it happens, how it was exposed from the outside – uh, and the lurid details are not at all a part of the movie. I mean, there's some heart-wrenching scenes in here, but there's nothing like like shocking or gross. Or none of it is played for at that level. Um, because instead, it's about these in, these people with incredible integrity pursuing journalism in in the best sense of 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 what it should accomplish. Um, you know, bringing something to light. The, the movie is called Spotlight. Because this was a small investigative team at the Boston Globe who was who discovered this and ended up tracking down the case over over many, many weeks. Uh, and it, it's about them working to uncover an important story and not so much the lurid details of the story itself. It's, right. it's about the, the media doing hard work for the common good, but it's not preachy about it. Um, and, and that's that's what I loved about it is, you know, you mentioned all the president's men, Dingus. Uh, all the President's Men, I think, is often highlighted as a, as a great movie about the media. But but when you think about it, and this is even clear in the movie, uh, 
Woodward and Bernstein really didn't do anything. Like Woodward and Bernstein were conduits. Right. You know, Nixon was toppled by a guy from the FBI who presumably was disgruntled for being passed over. He get, he's the one who took Nixon down by passing this information to the Washington Post. So all the president's men is about some guys who just had good contacts and published what they were told and followed up on it and sourced it. Uh, Spotlight is not that. It's, it's, it's about men and women doing difficult legal work and, and legwork and knocking on doors and pouring over clippings mm-hmm. and sifting through documents. It's, you know, it was an accomplishment. It was something they accomplished. Uh, and, and I love that about it, and that's how it sets it apart for me from, from all the president's men. It's, it's a true testament of what journalism can and should accomplish at its best. Uh, and yeah, Liev Schreiber, he's so like – He's just like so quiet and competent, and he's not the normal – like John Slattery plays uh, Ben Bradley Jr., and he's kind of it, – it's not a clown part, but he's, he's, he's not like the driving force there. Right. Uh, and Liam and Schreiber's his boss, and he's just like – it's such a like subtle, understated performance, and I love that about what he's doing. Right. Right. Um, he's the he's the rock of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And and he doesn't do a lot, but he does everything. And I keep waiting for him to show back up, but you he shouldn't have to. Um but the things he's doing are amazing. I I was totally crazy about him in this movie. I don't think I've ever seen him do this kind of thing. Yeah. So and uh uh Michael Keaton, it's awesome. See I I'm Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. His accent was a little questionable at times, but uh, <laughs> I, I sure did like watching him work. Uh, he's great to watch. Yeah. All right. So Spotlight uh, was uh, my number six movie of 2015. Dingus is number four movie of 2015. Now, gentlemen, let's get down to some brass tacks. Every movie we talk about from now on, all three of us put it on our lists. Hmm. The first one, Dingus is number eight movie of 2015, my number seven movie of 2015, Kelly Wan's fourth favorite movie of 2015. Let me give you guys this line. What about the girl in the yellow dress? <laughs> Kelly Wan, you liked it more than us. Why is what is this, and why is it your fourth favorite movie of 2015? Oh, it follows is great. It's all about composition. It's all about a sense of place and ambiguous space. Yep, very ambiguous space. And uh, it's the first movie, I think, that's actually done that to that effect. Um, and the things that seem like lapses in it, I think, are just part of its just nightmare dream logic. Like, I, it's like one of the fun things to do is afterwards go, wait, so if this rules. If I like apply, then would those people have caught it at the thing? I never get sick of it. Well, the thing is, what, it, it's you, you know we've seen plenty of horror movies where there's an established mythology, and yeah. you have this rules-based concept about you know ghosts or zombies or whatever, and it has you thinking about what would I do? And you know, in ghosts, you leave the house. Zombies, you just shoot them in the head or you run because they're slow. Demons. You call Max von Sydow or whatever. We, we we think about those things when we see a horror movie, and these are all familiar to us. This is something completely new, and mm-hmm. I, I so treasure that in yeah. a genre that is so frequently creatively bankrupt yeah. and familiar and, and cliched. Uh-huh. Yeah, to, to, to have someone bring this new concept was so refreshing. Yeah. And so blatantly. like I love horror as a metaphor, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just so – clear with what they're doing with with this movie. Yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of chances and 
it definitely tells the story a way that uh, I don't know. I don't think it would have worked in like the mainstream. I don't know because it, it seems like just everything's the same. Fucking, it's all save the cat now, like horror too. Like everything's like Lazarus effect. Save the cat. What? Wow, I don't know what either <laughs> of those two the things mean. Kelly, why you? Or everything's the Lazarus effect. Save the cat's like the screenplay thing. writing manual where it's like every page it tells you what's supposed to be going on story wise. So that's why every movie now has the kind of this like same feel, like beat for beat, like screen minute for screen minute. You know, you, you should you should go ahead and see Good Night Mommy then. If you if you think all movies are Save the Cat, check out Good Night Mommy when you get a chance. Okay. I'll take uh, up on that. Yeah. Um, so, I think it's why was it your uh, eighth favorite movie of the year? Uh, did you already describe why it's your number seven? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, right. it's, it's a new concept in, in a genre where everything's kind of familiar, and we, we just see sort of iterations of familiar stuff, and here's another zombie thing, and some of those things are great, but it was so nice to see something new. Like, even the Duke, which I love, <laughs> is kind of a familiar concept. Yeah, so, right. Is let's have this manifestation of someone's neuroses and is it real? Is it not real? Whatever. Uh, it follows as a completely new concept, and mm-hmm. I love that. And the Babadook kind of resolves, like it's like, and that's how that. That's I would say it follows does as well, uh, but in a very I different think, way. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. sure, in a very different way. But I would say it definitely like there, there's a very clear conclusion and message, not like capital M message, but that there, you know, there. It definitely has something specific to say that, that's clear by the end, I think. I think so, too, yeah. yeah. But not like the Baba Duke, where the characters are like totally different from how they started. Like, Oh, I disagree. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Kelly Wand, have you even seen It Follows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get what you're saying in that uh, it does things that the Baba Duke definitely doesn't do. I'm, I'm with right. you there 100%. But I hate you. <laughs> Let me just say that the the reason it this is not the reason that it is number eight on my list or even that it appears on my list, but the reason that this movie um, started my document of what movies are going to be on the top ten list this year is because you know I'm sorry to embarrass you, Tom, but this is the movie you came back for. Um, this so this movie was pretty important to me and pretty oh, important oh, to us. Uh, right, right, after being sick and, and gone for a while. I, I thought you meant, because I missed the first part of it when I first saw it. No, no, no. Uh, what I mean is that th- this is the movie where we went to see it, and um, and, and for weeks and months, you know, I'd been, you know, hoping, when when is Tom going to be able to, you know, start, you know, when is he going to be able to jump back in? And this is the movie that got you to jump back in, and this is why I was so excited about this movie. Uh, and doing the podcast for this movie is because you jump, you were, you were able to jump back in for it. So just on a personal level, uh, the fact that, you know, this is the move, this is the podcast movie where Tom came back in to the podcast. Um, that's just a, you know, a personal note. Um, but for, for other reasons, you know, I was never very much into horror movies, uh, as a kid or, as an adult until I got to know you guys basically. Um, and so I've gotten to be more and more into them. And I think this is just really one of those perfect horror movies that understands how to balance, uh, creepiness and scariness with character. 
I, I really love the way that this movie does this. I, I mean, um, the quote I would have given is, I was never going anywhere. I, I, I'm sorry, it was never about going anywhere, really. And that's when she's in the car and she's just talking about vacations. She And she was talking about her family vacations. She was like, it was never really about going anywhere. And there's just a sense of tension where you know is he going to hit her over the head is he going to, what is he going to do to her something's going to happen to her she's lying over the back seat of the car and she's just talking to a flower or something i think um and that weird clamshell reader and that weird i love the thing about this movie about it's uh it's the, the way um oh gosh what's the director it's david mitchell i think his name is yeah david he, the, the guy has the gall to not have a last name it's three first names david robert mitchell yeah, how, thank how, you. Supposed, how can you remember that that's impossible to remember david robert mitchell um just chooses to put it in some sort of weird uh no time and he's got that clamshell reader that the one girl is reading uh the idiot on i think uh and that and the way he makes Detroit into this character in the movie, um, and and the way and there's so many things in this movie. I could talk and talk and talk about it. You could just listen to the podcast we did on it instead of hearing me prattle on. Um, uh, man, this movie creeped me out. It freaked me out, uh, and I'm just pleased as punch that it wound up on at least two other lists. Yeah, we we all were quite fond of this. Um, all right, so another movie that we all three saw in um, a similar genre. Uh, my actually, Kelly Wan, you and I picked this as our third favorite movie of 2015. Dingus, he was only like, yeah, it's number ten. I'll give it that. I'll give <laughs> wow. it a total slot. I know. So, uh, Dingus, since you like this movie the least, what line would you pick from it to make someone guess the movie? All right. I would say, ask me about horses again, and I'll slap you red. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Wan, what? Why don't you give us a line from it? Please continue. Ah, uh, very good, very good. And mm. I'd of course have to go with the uh, the say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, we all loved uh, Bone Tomahawk to varying degrees. Uh, I it, it's it's a horror movie. It's a western. It's neither. It's both. It it mm. has this crazy shift at some point. Uh, I mean, you know offhand, it clearly from the get go is like, hey, I'm going to be a horror movie. Table that for a while. Let me introduce <laughs> you to these really awesome characters and some just almost impeccable dialogue to establish them. And just keep in mind that horror thing is lurking in the background. We'll get to that eventually. Uh, yeah. And it's just so ballsy to do it that way, but. It's so freaking good with the dialogue and with Richard Jenkins and, uh, it, 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 of course, Kurt Russell. I mean, it's another. It's one of the reasons I hated Hateful Eight is I just yeah. seen this amazing western and now I had to sit through a bunch of Tarantino wankery. Um, so Kelly Wan, why is it your third favorite movie of 2015? Because it's such an original blend. It's everything yeah. you just said. It's got it all. It's, Actually, you uh, know, there is a genre called a, a weird West. Have you heard of this before? No. Like when you compare it, when you like have some occult thing in a Western setting, like I think there's a movie called Jonah Hex, which I've actually seen, uh, which is like that. That's a Marvel movie, though. Does that count as its own genre? Is that a comic movie? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
You, well, no, there, it. you chose it for a great weapon because he has some sort of weird thing on his horse. No, I've seen that. I didn't know it was a comic book movie, though. It's, but, but it's an example of something called Weird West, which is a genre where you combine westerns and horror. You don't see it in movies a lot, but I think there's a lot of, like, I guess it makes sense. There's comic books and novels and even games that have this, like, western horror thing. Um, the Family it, Guy movie. But you're right, Kelly. We don't see you don't see a lot of that. It's, anybody who's going to make a, a a western, a historical piece, you know, they're not going to squander their resources right. making a horror movie. For Russell, anybody who's going to make a horror movie, they're not going to bother with some period piece where you need horses and a tavern and a saloon and yeah. Kurt Russell's facial hair and yeah, uh, and the action in the movie is so like quick and brutal and like. It's slow. You like you don't know when it's going to happen. It's like that Terrence Malick analogy you made. It's like what Ding has talked about with Two Step. Uh, yeah, is that uh, just just quick, brutal, abrupt violence that, that you don't expect? And yeah. me in Bone Tomahawk, it's like you know what this just happened. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. But there, it lives up to the title. You know what? I was thinking about that when I first heard about Bone Tomahawk, and then I saw it. I was like, that's a stupid title. It doesn't make any sense. There's no bone tomahawk in it. It's not a tomahawk. There's no handle on it. Exactly. There's a guy who hits somebody with a bone, but but actually bone tomahawk. Like like you think of a tomahawk as a as a as a primitive savage instrument. Mm-hmm. And what could be more primitive and more savage than a tomahawk? Yeah, but a tomahawk made out of bone. Uh, so I grew to love the title. But maybe what was a dick as a handle? Kelly, one, we're not doing a three by three this week. Sorry. Oh, I was just okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Medically, Sam. Uh, I was so glad that Richard Jenkins, Jenkins was nominated for uh, an Independent Spirit Award. I mean, those guys are so oh, rarely, right. yeah, they so rarely recognize horror movies. Yeah. Even the horror movies, I mean, it's an independent, it's a huge genre in independent film. Uh, but It Follows was uh, was nominated by the Independent Spirit Awards for, uh, I think, Best Picture, maybe even Best Director. Uh, Bone Tomahawk got a nomination for script and for Richard Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to see them acknowledging horror movies because we had some great ones this year. All right, let's get down to. I still hate you. Really? No, I was kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> before we move off of Bone Tomahawk, yes, Venus. Um, you know, I talked to at least three other people this week about this movie. Um, it, none of them liked it. What? I'm not surprised. No, no, I'm not the least bit surprised. I wouldn't. I can totally understand people not liking this. So, so this is why it's. I mean, I, I'm crazy about the dialogue in this. I mean, you can hear that when we talk about it in our three or three. I'm nuts about the dialogue of this thing, Uh, but I don't know how to recommend it. And and I don't know. It's so hard to recommend. Um, And that that shouldn't. That shouldn't place it on a list of movies that you love or anything like that. But uh, but just as a practical measure, I mean, how do you recommend this thing? How do you do it? Well, you know, like I had no problem forcing you guys to see it. And I know you guys were both like, oh, what are you doing? Like I remember yeah. springing it on you guys. And I, I knew you would both appreciate it. I mean, you just it, – it takes a very particular taste and it takes – it takes wanting to see cinema do new, brave things. Uh, it takes an appreciation for competent writing and acting. And um, I mean, but I can completely understand people. A lot of people are just like, "Oh, I just want to be entertained." You know, that's not what this is doing. It's, it's, it's. I think of Bone Tomahawk as this finely crafted jewel. 
Uh, and if you don't appreciate things like how a jewel catches the light if you hold it different ways or the significance of how it's cut or something like that, if you think a jewel is just a sparkly whatever, you're not going to appreciate it. Uh, I, I think you really have to have this kind of appreciation of the finer points of, of, of cinema and movie making and acting. Um, and if you have those and if you're willing to see something that's completely different and it's going to jerk you around in unexpected ways – I would have no compunction about recommending it. It's in a way, things it's it's almost like Martyrs, but not quite that extreme. Ooh. like okay. Martyrs is a really tough watch, and it does some really difficult things, and it doesn't have nearly the craftsmanship of Bone Tomahawk. But you just have to know who to recommend it to, and right. so yeah, I, I mean, I, I just I just wouldn't recommend it to most people. I, I but, think you know, but when somebody you know finds out you're a movie critic, for instance. And they say, what, what were your favorite movies over the last couple of years? Or what was your favorite movie last year? Or what, what are some great movies from last year I should see? Uh, you know, somebody at a party asks you, Tom, that question. Right. Will you say you should see Bone Tomahawk? Or, I mean, how do, you, how do you probe them to find that out? Because I think people should see this movie, but for the dialogue, and I, but I don't want to remove the parts that would turn them off, but it's 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 a different style of. I understand your gem thing because you know a gem. I, I like that analogy because because it, it can also cut you if you're not careful. Um, so but how do you do that? Because I, mean, I I love this movie so much, but I can't like get my dad to watch it. Well, and he likes movies, but he he can't watch this movie. Yeah, for me, there's two things that are completely separate. There are my favorite movies, and then there are movies I would recommend, right. and then those don't necessarily overlap. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, I, I am almost uh, like even as, as a critic, I write about video games a lot, and it, I, don't, I never consider it my business to recommend something. I just oh. consider when I when I write about a, a video game, and I'm similar with movies, I just write about my experience, and hopefully someone can call from that some insight into whether or not it's for them. But that's not my responsibility, is to tell somebody, you should see this, you should see that. If I know someone like a friend, like you guys, I'll absolutely do that because I know you guys. Uh, but I just don't see recommending something as the same as it being my favorite. Right. Bone Tomahawk, my third favorite movie of the year, there are very few people for, to whom I would recommend it, I think. Okay. Yeah. But like if some random person that you just met says, you know, oh, I, you do movies, uh, tell me your Tell me five movies I should watch. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Although, although I, you're right. The thing is, like, I, I know your dad. I kind of want him to see Bone Tomahawk because it's so good. <laughs> uh, and I know there's so many things he would appreciate about it. But yeah, yeah. Like, we give it a few minutes because he'll get the Kurt Russell parts. And well, that's the thing. You watch that first scene with with Richard Jenkins and Kurt Russell with the soup. I mean, that's just that's a brilliant. That's a it's a jewel. That thing. Right. It's like it's like a Mozart piece or something. It's just amazing. Yeah. Right. So you sweeten the honey pot. But unfortunately, it's it's there to be emotionally manipulated to make you care about these people, and that's you and know let it work on them. <laughs> yes, it's ultimately a horror movie. It's ultimately there to 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 have you care about people to whom horrific things happen, uh, and that's kind of the point of a horror movie. And if you're not in movies for that. Maybe you shouldn't see it. Uh, or turn it off if you don't into it. You know what, Dingus? Yeah, tell your dad to watch it and just give him a cutoff point and say when X, Y, or Z happens, you're done. <laughs> just if <bail>. you want, <laughs> you can yeah. vote. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dingus. Oh, boy. Well, so, Kelly, this you and I put this as our number five. 
Uh, Dingus put this as his favorite movie of the year, and I can't wait to hear about oh, it. But boy. it's our topic for next week. So our ne- next week, our our, uh, our podcast is on The Revenant, which technically opened a limited release here in, in L.A., I think New York, in December. It gets a wide release uh, January 8th. So it is our podcast for next week. Uh, and I'm so psyched to talk about The Revenant, my fifth favorite movie of 2015, Kelly Wan's fifth favorite movie, and Dingus's favorite movie of 2015. Uh. However, we have to uh. table that. We have to table any in-depth conversation. But what I do want to do, Dingus, can you give us a quote and maybe one or two lines about why it meant something to you? And same for you, Kelly Wand, and I'll do that. Just a brief comment, and then we're just going to move on. All right. Uh, how about if I just give you a quote, and you'll understand what I'm talking about? All right. I don't have to say anything else. You are my son. Mm-hmm. My quote would be that I love because I would say all you got to do is blink. If you want me to do that, save your boy and blink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have two words, by the way. Emmanuel Lubezki. <laughs> yeah. Damn, <laughs> I know. So hot. We'll get into that. Kelly Wan. A brief comment about the revenant, and then we'll move on. Well, I have a quote. Yep. White man at the game. <laughs> it's a little insight into what you'll be getting uh, next week, week on the uh, Revenant podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we got to move on. We'll have a lot more to say about this next week, and I, I cannot wait. Uh, yeah, me what, too. I'm what, so excited. Uh, and what I wrote in my notes was um, – you know, I wrote my normal stuff, and then in the notes section, in my notes, I said, this movie, damn this movie, let's talk about it next week. Yep. All right. Uh, did, you, uh, did you guys see it? Too? Yeah, well, you, know, you just have to wait until next week. <laughs> As we're fond of telling each other, save it for the podcast, Kelly Wan. Uh, we never do. All right, Dingus' sixth favorite movie <laughs> of the year is my and Kelly Wan's favorite movie of 2015. Uh <laughs> I could not have seen this coming. Kelly Wan, do you have a line from it? No. Okay, well, I'll just give you one. Kelly Wan, when I yell fools, drive out of here. <laughs> so here's my deal, and this is why... Can I give you my line? Uh, yeah, you can't... Oh, yes, Kelly Wan. No, Dingus, give us a line from my and Kelly Wan's favorite movie of the year, your sixth favorite. That's not his blood. <laughs> Very good. I witness you. All right, mediocre. Um, so here, here's my deal with, uh, how I square, how I felt about, and these were both just two amazing things that happened to me this year, how I felt about Star Wars and Fury, Mad Max Fury Road, both of those huge fixtures in my childhood. It meant a lot to me. Um, but Fury Road, and I don't say this to, to talk Star Wars down. My God, I had a great time in that Fury Road, however, absolutely nuts and unhinged and it did things i had never seen before Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now force unleashed like i said it was a joyous iteration of things that i had seen before and i was delighted to see again you know force awakens was kind of like this unlikely rescue where jj abrams came and he took this cool thing away that george lucas had given me and then screwed over but fury road was a miraculous resurrection. I had no idea George Miller still had it in him. Uh, and it just knocked my socks off. And, and I had no compunction, too, about being as you, you kidded us about it, but I knew all along. I mean, this there was never a moment this wasn't my favorite movie of the year since I've seen it. Uh, so, I, yeah, so 
easily my favorite movie of the year, Mad Max Fury Road. And it is so kind of funny to me to see it on so many, uh, like, like, quote unquote, respectable, serious movie lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that about it. Uh, because it does sustain that kind of, that, that, that kind of insight, that kind of like, uh, like looking at it that closely, that sort of in- inspection, I, I think. Uh, it holds up that well. Um, like there, there's a, I don't even know how to say this, here's du cinema, like there's this super fancy, highfalutin French establishment that, that looks at cinema, and they pick Fury Road as their like fifth of the top ten movies of the year. Uh, yeah, so if, if snooty French guys can like it, like dorky, oh. dorky guys like me, uh, Kelly Wan, why is it your favorite movie of the year? See, I saw Star Wars as a Jedi mind trick that Abrams was playing on all of you. No, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> Kelly Wan, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Let's just disagree to agree. Oh. Uh, no, it's the boldest use of the medium that I've seen in modern times. It was like. <laughs> 3D. It made the. It, Ew. 3D. You didn't see it in 3D? No. There's only two movies where I become a 3D apologist. It's like this and Gravity. I think those are the two good 3D experiences. Or if you didn't see it that way, you kind of lost out. And I know people haven't seen Fury Road yet, and I'm like, oh, really? You're just going to watch it on TV or your fucking phone? <laughs> You're going to go, it's okay, not worth all the build-up, but I'm going to go, ugh, why do I talk to these people? And that's me talking to myself. So you see my my, my problem. What was the question? Why is Fury Road my favorite movie? <laughs> Carrie, why I think you've made a convincing case? Dingus, are you swayed, or is it still just number six for you? No, I'm going to bump it up to number ten. No, sorry, I already have your list here. Sorry. Oh, it's been, it's, it. been, it's been entered into the database. The math has been done. It's jammed at the number six position. Sorry. The math has been done. I love uh, that Tom Hardy is in a mask and it gets removed. I think that's yeah. really funny. Um, I love there, – there's this moment, and this is one of the notes I took from the first time I saw the movie. Um, there's this moment where he emerges from the sand after his wreck. Uh, where the sand, I don't know why this occurred to me. And in my notes, I said, do not reveal this. Just keep this to yourself. But it looks like this weird sand, like breast or nipple. And then suddenly his head starts to emerge. And then you're you're not quite sure what's going on. And then his face comes out of the sand. I love that in the context of what the movie is about. Um, But I was just, so happily surprised by it. Uh, I was just uh, knocked, it out, knocked out by how um, uh, kinetic it is. It's just, it's just, once it gets moving, it just seems to be constantly moving. Uh, there, were, there were things that I didn't like about it early on when, they're, when he's running through the caves, and it feels like it has this weird uh, 28 weeks later, like fast zombie kind of camera movement, but they work through all of that. I like understanding what the tattoos are about. Um, it, it's annoying. None of that is annoying to me, but I, I, I do love all that frenetic movement that this, that this movie seems to capture. Um, it, it just, it seems relentless with a purpose, you know, even though it's like we're going here and then we're coming back. Uh, I, I'm, I'm crazy about this movie, and the fact that it's number six should not deter 
in any way. I'm, I'm nuts about Mad Max. So one of the things you could say about Fury Road uh, that I, I I don't take objection to because it's kind of true is that it's just one long car chase, um, and and kind of like it, that's kind of true. Eventually, it's just somebody gets in a car early in the movie and drives away, and the movie is about where that person is going and where they're if they're going to turn around and come back it's, it's right. someone driving away and trying to get away from someone yeah, uh, that's the whole movie yeah. yeah um and i've talked before about car chases as requiring three things you need character context and choreography namely you need to care about the people driving the car the context is you need to know where they're going and why they need to get there and who they are and what the deal is about what's so urgent and then you need choreography cool stuff has to happen during a car chase cars have to flip over or explode or squeal around a corner. You know, you have to make cool stuff happen. When applying this kind of thinking to Fury Road, it occurred to me that this whole idea of character context and choreography, it actually applies to the art of movie making in general, any movie. Yeah. And it's basically, and it took Fury Road to make me realize this, a car chase just needs to be a good scene because character context and choreography, it comes down to the actor's, the character, the context, the script, you know, the blueprint for the movie, what's happening, and the choreography, the director. Just a director has to make things look good and flow and have pace. Um, so just as a movie in general, what I used to think of, yeah, this is what it takes to make a good car chase, applies to all of Fury Road. It's got character, context, and choreography. All of those three things apply to the whole movie. Um, and, and I love that about it. And even little quiet moments um, – you know, the bit with the sniper rifle is just one of my favorite moments of the year yeah. for what it says about the characters, what it says about women in, in action movies, uh, what it says uh, about how these people feel about each other at this moment. Um, so much of not just the characters' relationships, but the world building itself. Like, where does this take place? That context, the stuff that a script explains. So much of this stuff is accomplished without exposition. Mm-hmm. And that is just an amazing achievement. So many movies have to tell you stuff. Like, okay, we're here, blah, 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 and this is that, and that's this, now go. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the flip side of your quote, is like character context choreography. They have to do that with a car chase, so it's like more restrictive. So that's what's exciting about that formula. Yeah, I mean, it's if, if you think of it... It's a huge constraint. Yeah, and, and you don't leave, like, and, and the, the cars in this, like... I, Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the way I used to feel about Max's the last of the V8 interceptors uh, growing up as a kid. Man, that that is it a war machine? I forget what they call it. War truck? War war machine? Anyway, what they call what Shirley's Theron drives that big old truck? That's just iconic to me now. That thing is beautiful and amazing. And looking at the how it's fit together and how the pieces of it apply to certain parts of the plot uh, and how it's eventually used. Uh, I just love that vehicle as much as I loved Max's V8 interceptor. Um, yeah, and the guitarist. The guitar. Well, that's part of too. Like a completely nuts. I never thought I would see like porcupine dune buggies or silver suicide mouth spray or Cirque du Soleil polecats in a truck siege. <laughs> I think it was awesome. That was the worst version of Roy Batty's monologue I've ever. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a, a truck. He's knocking, seen chrome off the coast. Of knocking yeah. a car into a tornado. I've seen <laughs> things you people wouldn't believe. Yeah. I've milked, 
I've milked things, you. Oh, dingus, you made it gross. Too yeah. soon. Well, that's another thing, too, is I, I love how, and this isn't a stretch, um, Fury Road is, is about reproductive rights. I mean, this is a, yeah. this is a, this is a, a movie about how, hey, quit being a dick to women, asshole. Like, that's, right. that's the, that's the, that's not the subtext, that's the, that's the text of the movie. It's the ultimate Bechdel test. It really is, Kelly Wand. It really yeah. is. I love that about it. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, hath no Fury Road. <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Really? Thank you. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have some awards? So I've already outed myself. My most surprising movie of the year, Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. Mm. Uh, what movie surprised – by the way, my runner-up, uh, I really liked Terminator Genesis and didn't expect to. Jesus. There was my runner-up runner was also Terminator Genesis. Yeah, there was some fun stuff in the beginning of that, wasn't there, Dingus? I, I kind of went back and forth. I had to actually look yeah. at both trailers of my surprisings to – figure out which was going to be best, because I really liked Terminator Genesis. What was your... Courtney. <laughs> Kelly Wan, give us, give us a quote from Terminator Genesis. You know the one. I just have to hear it. Nice to see you. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wan. <laughs> uh, so, Dingus, are you like me, then, in that Terminator Genesis was beat out as a, the most surprising movie of the year by Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant? Was that your pick as well for most surprising? It really was, because I was surprised that you picked it. <laughs> What did you pick instead? What surprised you, Dinkus? I, ob I obviously picked Jurassic World. Ew. Oh, Kelly Wand. Uh, I was worried that we were going to have something like that happen. <laughs> wow. Well, it happened. Here all right, Dinkus, what surprised you uh, about Jurassic World? That it was good at all and that I loved it so much and that uh, you guys hated it beyond belief. It was terrible of you guys. I think it's very well made. I loved it. I was very surprised. And look, listen to Kelly like squirming on the floor over there. Oh. Kelly, remember, remember when we all loved Fury Road? Remember what that was like? That I'm was so trying cool. to. Let's go back there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mm -hmm. uh, thing is, can I just say that maybe it's just because you got a thing for Chris Pratt? He writes a motorcycle. You say that. You're welcome to say that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And in fact, That's what the reviews think. The two of you are standing over there, and I'm standing here with my hands outstretched, going, "Stop it, you guys." Oh, he's doing the raptor taming thing, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think of Chris Pratt, and I immediately go to Guardians of the Galaxy. I've yeah, forgotten. everybody does. Yeah, I forgot he was in that Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> I hope he has. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, what surprised you the most this year? Remember when the reviews for it said, Chris Pratt riding a motorcycle. What more do you want? And I was like, uh, a movie about dinosaurs and <laughs> thing, people getting eaten. I, I, anything more would be great. I didn't realize that was the headliner. But, okay, maybe I didn't do this topic right. If it's a movie that surprised you, you totally did it right. Yeah. Okay, and I think Dingus's girlfriend will back me on this one. But Fifty Shades of Grey, I was really surprised. <laughs> yes, Kelly? At how... Uh-huh, we're waiting. Yeah, go on. Not erotic it was. <laughs> If you jerk it to Fifty Shades, oh. something's wrong with you. The, and I that's say on the that, poster. Yeah. Like, even if you're like a an, a 60-year-old housewife, something like just the books are like the only books you've ever read. It's still the worst movie. Like, even you shouldn't be able to enjoy anything. Kelly like Wan isn't, is it Dakota Johnson? That's your name, right? 
She's cute, but yeah, she's adorable, right? So, so it's yeah, and I I like that they both hate each other as actors and characters in the movie. I get that sense, and like, but their chemistry, no their chemistry is so compelling. I mean, come on, I know it, it should be fun to watch. Like Showgirls is fun to watch. I have to say, it's it, awesome. It couldn't have been worse if Jennifer Aniston had been playing that. No, oh, it's so boring. Or both and sometimes oh. hate helps. Sometimes someone when because Tom Hardy, I guess, hated <laughs> making Fury Road, and he apologized to what? George Miller afterwards. That's what I read somewhere. That you know, I'm fine. Just just make the that's what I'm about Charlie's Throne. You know? Exactly, it doesn't have to be fun. <laughs> but it's yeah. like the hate did not help. Fifty Shades. Well, you you of hear time and again that on movie sets where everybody's having fun, the movie turns out to be crap. Uh, yeah. And, and Fury Road, by the way, was an infamously troubled production. I remember hearing stuff yeah. about it and thinking, oh, there's no, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Same as New Hope. <laughs> same, that was a, same as Jaws. Same as Jaws Fifty was Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey was troubled a production. shoot. That Blanca, Lawrence right. of Arabia, right. Right. Avengers, Ugh. Jurassic World. Avengers wasn't a troubled shoot. <laughs> I'm just saying things, Kelly Wan. <laughs> I know. That uh, job's taken. Can I do yeah. a runner-up? So we're going to have our own little awards. This isn't an award, but another runner-up for surprising. For me, the most surprising performance of the year, and I found this actress kind of annoying in the past, Blake Lively was really good in Age of Adeline, which is a movie I didn't really care for. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, my God. I'm being but serious. You saw a Benjamin Button spinoff. <laughs> I'm being a serious movie critic here. Kind of one. <laughs> they should date those characters. She was so good in it, and she, and not just – the later scenes where she's holding her own against Ellen Burstyn, like with Ellen Burstyn, they're so good together. But I, I saw Age of Adeline and was like, man, this Blake Lively chick, super talented. She should make movies. Maybe I should see other things she's in. I haven't, I haven't gone that far yet. But I'll check out Green Lantern again. She's in Green Lantern. Yeah. Huh. Let me make Isn't she? Her. She's a little too pointy for me. I like her as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Kelly. Surprising, the surprising yeah. Yeah. performance of the year for me would be Tom Noonan in Anomalisa. Oh, do I want to see that? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. Cool. Let me write that down. Uh, I, the one for me. So actually, this is this is a uh, my Not award. Best. I, I was just dovetailing off Tom. Using the surprising topic. No, no, no. Uh, the one that really got me out of Anomalies of Dingus was uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. I thought she was wonderful in that. Oh, she was great in that, and she's the only one I didn't get un- until I saw the credits. I mean, I, I nailed the other two, uh, so to speak. Um, but as, a, as, a, as I was watching, I couldn't figure out who was doing that. And we had just done the podcast the week before. It, it was a good year for Jennifer Jason Leigh being good in bad movies. Uh, yeah. Um, excuse me. She was so good in Hateful Eight, and she's just. I, I, the funny thing is, she's got it. She's like fifty-five or something. I mean, she's older than us. Uh, she's basically playing like a twenty-something in Anomalisa, and she's so energetic and just charming and bubbly. And the movie is so bleak and mundane and depressing. Mm-hmm. She's and it's supposed to be that way. She's just like this ray of light in it, and it's only with her voice. Uh, I loved her in that. I can relate. That's to kind that. of the point. In the movie too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that works. That's the best thing about the movie. Even all of her Cindy Lauper singing. I mean, I love that too. By the way, she yeah. got to sing. I loved her song in Anomaly. So, like in Hateful Eight. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wait, are you saying that's a bad thing, the the Cindy Lauper song? Are you like No, that? no, no. I'm saying that's the best thing about the movie in an otherwise in a movie that was otherwise tedious and bleak for me. Yeah. So Kelly Wan, the thing to know is that Anomalisa was originally going to be a like a short. And Oh. Well it should be a short. It's it really should be a short. It, it really should. Short. Although I think that it's uh one of those things where Charlie, I, I think Charlie Kaufman might be too smart for us because it, it's the, the way I felt about Synecdoche is that, okay, this is probably cool, but it's not – I don't think I'm smart enough to appreciate this. I so, am, and I think it's great. We Check out Anomalisa because I think the All fact right. that they did take a, a short and they made a feature-length movie out of it, I mean that's kind of the point of it is that it is tedious. Uh, I don't I mean, know that, but... Well, no, I mean, uh, those are two different things. I think Synecdoche, I would agree that he's probably too smart for us for, for that. But for this, I think he's just too sad for us. Well, I, I felt the same way about Synecdoche. That's so depressing and sad and, uh, I'm in. I'm in. and just, just alienating for me. And, I'm in. And it's the same you're, you're writing. It's, I mean, there's there's just a lot of tedium in Anomalisa, and I, I think it's intentional. I don't think he would have it any other way. I think when he got funding, he was like, Good. I can introduce that much more tedium into this short. Otherwise, it would have been right. a short, and we'd have to do a shortcut around the tedium. Now I can force you to endure it. Dude, you don't have to oversell me on it. Or <laughs> in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did quite like Jennifer Jason Lee. Hmm. Uh, where were we? Was that surprising? Uh, we, so we should move on to disappointing now. Yeah. All right. I want to add maps to the stars on their top ten, I see. Uh, no, but I think I liked it better than you guys. So. No, I liked it. I liked it better than you. I know. Dingus thought it was stupid. Uh, well, what's something that disappointed you? <laughs> Star Wars. That's my most disappointing. Oh my god! Are you serious? Dingus, yeah. Are you gonna? Are we gonna put up with that? No. The most, the most disappointing. Not <laughs> not Spectre. Not Jurassic World. You're going with Star Wars. Oh uh, wait, Spectre's a good one. I don't know. Spectre. I just kind of wanted to pretend it never happened. While as Star Wars, I was I was got really I got really excited for the first 45 minutes. And I went, oh, I hope it stays at this fever pitch. And then it kind of didn't. And so right. that was a bigger letdown. Star Wars had been Spectre terrible. always sucking. But if Star Wars had been terrible, I would have been, oh, well. It wasn't I terrible. I expected it to be terrible. It was right. not. But no. if it had been, I would have expected it to be because, you know, all those other movies were bad except for the middle three. I mean... Okay. To be fair, Kelly Wong can be disappointed at what he wants to be disappointed at, so we yeah, have to give it to him. Right. Yeah. Right. We don't want to get pulled over. We don't right. want the three by three police to, to show up. I'm disappointed in all movies right now except Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough standard. I know Fury Road does kind of screw it up for everyone. Yeah. Else. At least at least from your and my perspective. Larry fair Gay. enough. <laughs> Dingus, is that your most disappointing movie of the year? Is Larry Gay? Because I forced you to see it. No, my most disappointing movie of the year is The Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, that's a good mm, that is a good, that's one. A good one. That was a tough pill to swallow. Mm. I was really excited to go to it. My kid was really excited to go to it. We were so happy with the first one and so surprised by how great it was. And then Age of Ultron is just such a dud. How do you do that after after pulling off such a success of the of the Avengers when you know, especially the two of us, uh Tom, Tom had this great, this great anal- I don't know if it's analogy or metaphor or whatever of bulldozers just pu- pushing all these properties into this like yeah. mass. And I was just so nervous that Avengers was going to suck. And now it's a movie that 
<laughs> I watch all the time. And I was so excited to see Age of Ultron with my kid. And it was just such a... Uh, my pick, not Spectre, but that would be a runner-up. Uh, and I, I sort of, I, I gave my screed about this movie on the podcast a few weeks ago. But uh, I don't know what happened with Mistress America, the movie that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach co-wrote and that Noah Baumbach directed. Oh, yeah. But oh my God, it made me retroactively not like. It made me retroactively not like their other movies as much and that was a painful thing to experience um oh because i adore i so adore like francis ha and greenberg um i think that what was that called when we were young when we're young yeah yeah like while, I, we're young. while we're young yeah that was okay but i was thinking okay it's kind of an aberration he'll pick it up and mistress america is just insufferable so i'm going to turn this over to uh, a friend of mine who who writes for Gawker in New York City. This guy's one of the, the cleverest, funniest writers I know. Next to you, Kelly Wand. Uh, he's a friend of mine named Tony Carnavale, who's written for uh, the front page of Quarter 3 a few times. He does this thing where he does one-line reviews of movies. Um, and he did this accidentally, and I every now and then say, hey, give me a one-line review of such and such a movie. Uh, and we don't have similar tastes, but I love hearing him distill down why he doesn't like a movie. Um so, for instance, we all love Guardians of the Galaxy. For whatever reason, Tony Carnavale was like, yeah, didn't like it. His one-line review, Space Bro and the Who Cares Gang. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love that. Uh, the Martian. Things like The Martian, I was not into it. My friend Tony Carnavale, not into The Martian. Here's his one-line review, Space Farmer and a lot of meetings. Yes. His one-line review for Star Wars, uh, for, for Force Awakens, was Star Wars, colon, episode 7, colon, episode 4. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. good. Uh, so his, his one-line review of Mistress America, which he warned me I would hate, and this is the guy, too, that told me I would love Francis Ha and that it would be my favorite movie of the year. I didn't believe him. I was like, I didn't know what he's talking about. He was right. He told me I would hate Mistress America. I didn't believe him. I thought, come on, how bad can it be? Uh, his one-line review of this was, I do not think screwball comedy means what Noah Baumbach thinks it means. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my most uh, disappointing of uh, I must be even – people don't say screwball comedy anymore. Well, they don't it's, really make them like they used to. No, they don't. They're not screwball. Yeah. Uh, let's give out some other awards. Uh, I'll go first. Here's uh, the best – 2015 movie in which Kristen Wiig gets serious. There were a few of these. Uh, a movie by a Chilean director named Sebastian Silva called Nasty Baby. She's she's in that, uh, and she's quite interesting to watch. It's not a comedy. Uh, she's in a movie called Diary of a Teenage Girl, uh, which is kind of like a fish tanky kind of movie. She's serious in that. But my favorite serious Kristen Wiig performance actually thinks it's a comedy, and it is not funny. And Kristen Wiig is so incredibly fascinating in this unfunny comedy called Welcome to Me. Hmm. Now, Welcome to Me is about a woman who wins the lottery and gets off her medication. She's got some sort of a bipolar disorder and decides to spend all of her money making uh, her own version of a talk show like Oprah. She idolizes Oprah. So she dumps all this money into this podunk TV station and says, hey, 
I want to make a talk show with just me. And it thinks it's funny, and it is kind of, but she's just amazing to watch. And I love the fact uh, that after, you know, she's so good in Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader, and I love the fact that she's exploring these less conventional comedic roles and doing stuff like Welcome to Me. Even if that movie didn't work, I loved watching her in it. Hmm. So that's one of my awards for for 2015. Kelly Wan, do you have other awards? Best act? Are we not doing the? Is that your best acting moment? I don't understand what's happening. Are you making up? Yeah, we're just going to make up awards. Is that uh, yeah? Uh, did you guys okay. have a yeah? Uh, Kelly, Wan, did I? Maybe we didn't. We might not have coordinated this very well. Do you guys have other awards? My favorite robot. Is, oh right, right, Kelly, Wan, you were going to yeah. pick a favorite robot. Yeah. Um, Amy Schumer's robot walk and train wreck when she's in the mocap suit on the treadmill. Hmm. Is she actually a robot, though? I don't think so. Well, look, it's not a perfect. I'm not saying. This is why I don't like making lists of one hmm. thing. Are there runners up for favorite robot? Like, like a <laughs> BB 8 or. Uh, uh, I've, I've runner up. Yes, yes, Stingus. Kyoko in Ex Machina is my favorite. Uh, I was going to say the lady at the end of Chappie, like this, the singer in the band, when she gets turned into a robot. Is that spoilery? <laughs> I don't think you can spoil Chappie. It's already spoiled itself. <laughs> I forgive you, bad man. That was I have my an award for best moment. stabbing. Mm, mm, mm. I'm guessing, is it the same movie that has your runner-up for Best Robot? Nope. Ooh! All right, Dingus, what do you got? Mm. <laughs> um, so there's a couple different movies where uh, a woman like wraps her legs around a man's head while he's standing up and then stabs him. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I see where this is going. Or as I call it, a twofer. <laughs> yeah. So that would be... Um, uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Well, <laughs> right. yes, Thank you, Carrie yes, Fisher. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> you and made it weird. What actress would that be? Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, Ferguson. Uh, I love that when she gets on that guy's head and the stabs him. Strong females are important, but I prefer gunplay. <laughs> and don't mention the Dash Star. Wait, what are you doing? What's that weird voice? I'm doing Sean Connery. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry about this. Kelly Wan, do you have any additional awards? Uh, I thought Carrie Fisher was really good in Star Wars, actually. And she stole the movie. Star Wars, actually? Is that like a New Year's movie that starts calling for it? See what you've done, Kelly Wan? I hope you're uh, Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Uh, I have... I I have what I'd like to call the uh, award for <laughs> for awkward sex scenes. Mm. Oh, good. I like this. Mm. Uh, Anomalisa is a runner-up, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was me watching Anomalisa. Are we really so, going to do this? Are we really going to do this? That's what I was thinking. That's how what I think every time. How about if you're watching that sex scene and you're girlfriend's mother is also in the room oh my god is her is her grandmother also there no oh you dodge that bullet okay she's upstairs watching a woody allen movie oh that's the kinkiest part yeah that that was that was odd yeah uh there were there were several um 
sex scenes in Diary of a Teenage Girl until I realized that the actress who's supposed to be a 15-year-old is actually 22. So, dodge that bullet. Uh, however, the winner for the uh, award is the entirety of Gaspar Noe's movie Love, which – Kelly Wine, maybe you should see this. Uh, Love is basically – the main character says he's a filmmaker, and during one point in the movie, he's got this like really gratuitous scene where they might as well like write on like highlight the script and highlight or to say this is the point of the movie uh, where he's saying to someone else, "Why can't we have a movie where characters express themselves sexually and the camera doesn't cut away and it can be part of their relationship and how they develop?" So the point of love is you watch the actor and actress. The actor is actually very good. Uh, have graphic, actual non-simulated sex without the camera ever cutting and i mean it's certainly stylistic and it's erotic but it's uh just a lot of actual blatant non-simulated sex uh Hmm. so but it it is it's it's an odd experience to watch and it does sort of force you to wonder about yourself like if I if I can see intimacy between two characters being simulated and sort of empathize with them, like I think of how I felt about Victoria, uh, where it's just actors pretending, uh, why should the camera cut away when they're going to be at their most intimate? Yeah. You know, why do I feel uncomfortable watching that? And it, it, it says a lot about our mores and how we right. feel about sex. Uh, so kudos to Gaspar Noe for, for forcing us to confront that. But I kind of realized that – I don't really need it to be that explicit. I'm okay with things being implied. Um, well, I, I think there's there's a like sex is is is, is messy and it's, yeah. it's intimate and it's something you share with another person. And if you are watching it or if you are being watched, at least it, one, it takes a very different dynamic. It's yeah. kind of like the is it the Heisenberg principle where if you watch something, an experiment, you you will affect it change it yeah. yeah so me watching these two people having sex made it creepy it didn't make it intimate that's why you got to watch it through using cardboard <laughs> okay so if if i'd like had just a little pinhole in a piece of cardboard yeah, peering sure, through yeah. that watching and it's not weird at all yeah we don't expect actors to actually kill each other you know what thing is exactly right like i we're comfortable with a certain level of simulation one's um, a snuff film one's a muff film Man, you've done a great deal for Brittany tonight. So there is my that is that it, love is the recipient of my uh, award. Right, um, the recipient of my terrible security award would be the movie He Never Died, um, because that's the dumbest security door I've ever seen. What's the security door in it? He goes to this club that. Oh, oh, God, yes. <laughs> The dude opens the the sliding door and he's like, "You're not allowed to come in here." And all, and all, he, all Henry Rollins has to do is like punch the guy or do whatever, and then reach his arm in and open the door. Right, it's like a speakeasy slot where you're yeah. supposed to peer through it, but this one's big enough and close enough to the handle that you just right. reach in and unlock it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, should Kelly Wan see He Never Died? Yeah, I think he would like it. Yeah, I think it's, mm. defi- it's definitely I- Kelly Wan. I only yes. see movies with titles that are complete sentences. Hello. <laughs> oh, right. Is it me you're looking for? Uh, all right. Any other awards? Is oh. that a wrap for 2015? Oh my, are we are we there now? 
Well, we got it. We still got a lot to talk about. It's part of 2015 next week, but uh, oh, that's right. We're gonna hold off for that. Uh, a couple of notable movies didn't quite make my list. I really liked Wild, the Reese Witherspoon goes hiking movie. Was uh, Sofia Vergara? What was that this year? That was this year. No, the one with Sofia Vergara, Kelly Wan, was called Shoot. What was that called? It's called like Lock Up or In Close or Go Get It. It was something like Go Get It. What was that called? Uh, yeah, that was that was a very different kind of after performance. Um, but no, Wild, which is another one, by the way. I was like, I didn't really want to see Wild, but watching it, I got wrapped up in it. Uh, it's the guy who did Dallas Buyers Club. He's a really good filmmaker. Laura Dern is amazing in it. Um, Dingus, we saw Laura Dern in a movie we didn't care for called Ninety Nine Homes, and we're just reminded right. how awesome she is. Uh, she is she put- Bruce Dern's mom. <sighs> hmm. How dare you? She was in Jurassic Park, Kelly Wand. Oh, right. Uh, I also really liked a zombie movie called Wormwood. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Crazy over-the-top Australian mm. zombie movie at a time when uh, like zombie movies are not over-the-top anymore. Mm. This one's just that shit crazy. That's I love good that. ideas. Yeah. Crazy Australians, man. Yeah. Uh, I think we all pretty much liked – we all were huge fans of Inside Out. That was a very big one on this podcast. Why didn't you guys put it on your list? What are your excuses? Because Good Dinosaur was better. Because Larry Gay was on there. I couldn't put them on. <laughs> yeah. uh, certainly Rogue Nation I was very pleased with. Mm. Uh, I heartily recommend a movie called Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, ah, which, all right. Which has uh, what I think are some of the like best young actors uh, working today. It's very much a male cast. Uh, but if you watch Stanford Prison Experiment, not only is it a good movie, it makes you super excited about like – you know, a half dozen impending careers. Like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what these guys are going to do. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant a half dozen things that you could do as a career. No, 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 no. A half dozen actors. It's like I can't wait. I'm so psyched to watch them like grow up and do more movies because if they're this good, this young, you know, it, we have a lot to look forward to. That sort of. Um, thing. Is it appropriate to ask what you thought of The Big Short? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make my list, but uh, you know, for an Adam, I, I can't think of a of a, a less frivolous Adam McKay movie. Okay. Yeah. Were, were you into it, Dingus? Like, obviously, what made you ask? No, I was just curious about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't, I mean, I liked it a lot, but I thought it was uh, too much American Hustle and not enough Margin Call. Mm-hmm. And, and Margin yeah. Call never lost me, and Big Short lost me early. Yeah. I think I'm with Dingus. Uh, not about the movie he's talking about. That was ridiculous what he just said. What uh, other other uh, things that should be highlighted from 2015, you guys? Anything? No? Going? Uh, uh, Marco Robbie's best bath scene was probably in Zachariah, though. Yeah. So we're getting terrible feedback from someone. Whoever's doing that, stop. Uh, stop just long enough so I can tell the listeners... Uh, next week, our podcast is on The Revenant. We would like to invite you to send in your, your comments about The Revenant. Um, send them to 3x3 at quarter3.com. If you have anything to say about it, make sure you get us those by uh, Sunday the 13th at 9 p.m. Pacific. That's not right. Sunday the 10th at 9 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and we'll read what you have to say on the air. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss about The Revenant, we would love for you to bring up a topic for us to, to discuss. Uh, our 3x3 three three next week is... Uh, whose was this? Kelly's. Yeah, ready? Yes, what is it, Kelly Wand? 
It's the three best beverages in movies. All right, send those to three by three, three x three at quarter to three. Uh, if you do want to do the three by three or the revenant, put in your subject header whether or not it's about the three by three or whether or not it's about revenant. We don't want to uh, skip something that would go in one place or the, or the other. Uh, so join us for that next week. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined this week by Christian Muranlansky. It's Christian Muranlansky. That's exactly how I pronounce it. And uh, we had Kelly Wand. Only third English, really. Magical night today. Top hats. <laughs> James and Leno's coming up here. And the stars are getting out of their cars. Walking down a ramp. Here they come with their canes. Oh. No slipping. And they're going inside the building. Where they'll hand out trophies to themselves. We'll be out here covering all the action as the cars drive off. And the crowd stares at the doors, waiting for something to happen. We'll catch all the action. And that was Hollywood. Dingus? I live, I die, I live again. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Oh, man. Make my top six. Fuck. <laughs>